2: Previously on Grog Talk.
1: Where are we from today, Dan? Well, of course, we're from the Grog Talk studio, number Finally, one. Finally,
2: yes. God, that's exactly right.
1: And so now, so we have two dice here, or two sets, right? So we have right. the one is for the dorso roll, which is very, a question, James.
2: Uh, are you happy to be here? No.
1: No, and then, with an exclamation with point. Moment. Oh, yeah. Wait, you think you keep the same hit points when you're a bird? So there's a
2: bird and there's a tick riding the bird. Right. You do keep the same.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think this is, oh, the humanity, isn't it? Yes. This is... Oh,
1: <laughs> yes. 83. A ring of warmth. <laughs> no wonder you're pissed. <laughs> That's, all. That's all my dad left me. A ring... Okay, let's read it. And when my daddy left me, all he left me was alone. ring of warmth. The ring of warmth. Ring of warms. That's an album. I, w-
2: I was fed false information.
3: That's right.
2: Take this <laughs> ring of warmth; it will save you. Okay, for, for got the copper
1: it. Copper dragon. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay. Uh,
3: How, however, I think with a ring of warmth, it's only appropriate to go around in as little clothing as possible right. at yes. all times.
2: You're a naked half elf, magic user. I love it. Right. In a loincloth.
3: Right. I like it. Nothing but woad.
0: <laughs> Welcome to The broad Talk, with your hosts, Dan and James...
2: Ah uh, yes we are. Yes, absolutely, sir. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening.
1: Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. Where are we from today, sir? The Diamond Spider Tavern.
2: Diamond Spider Tavern. What's that about?
1: What I can tell you about
2: this, James. This is this is their slogan. Oh wait, let's say hi to our people there at the Diamond Spider
1: Tavern. There you go. What's their yeah, slogan? Kind of read there no. for a cheap drink and cheaper thrills. There's no better tavern in the whole city. Oh, is that city the Grog line already? What's going on? There's now. I've been told there's ways to to turn off the alert sound on a phone. Is this true, James? I've heard that as well. <laughs> Maybe after the show, you can look at my phone. <laughs> I'm like this. i like that. Was that commercial where it was like the grandchildren? You bring the stuff to your grandchildren That's to right. fix. So the have you di-
2: considered the jitterbug? Have you considered that as, as something you may want to uh, may want to invest? Because I think it has like one button.
1: Oh, or a flip phone. Yeah, exactly. I missed it. The- For a cheap drink and cheaper thrills, there's no better tavern in the whole city, James, than the Diamond Spider. This is from. The City Books. Do you remember the City Books? I do not know the City Books. Oh, the City Books. Well, I didn't know them at the time. I act all like what? Huh? and then, Right? Ooh. I just discovered them recently. So uh, they were by Flying Buffalo. Or Flying oh, Fly Buff- Buffalo. Yeah. Flying Buffalo. James, nineteen eighty-two. So it's fine. It's it's in within the wheelhouse. Just exactly. just making it in there. So these were supplements. Flying Buffalo did supplements.
2: And they're in Arizona because they're they're related to tunnels and trolls and
1: that kind of thing right i that's, think that's the lineage of them i think that is correct and so it, it, what it did is it gave you these were books that gave you different parts of a city so you could you know if somebody goes into it you need a tavern james you can pick the diamond spider uh tavern uh and uh let's i'll just i'm gonna spend a lot of take time take your head clients kind of off by the way we oh. just wanted to listen to our for a while until we have a guest you don't have to turn oh thank you Because that's why we're here together. It's been so long. I really don't know what to do anymore. Neither do I. Uh, The specialty of the house at the Diamond Spider is a lethal concoction known as the Spider's Web. It contains five varieties of hard alcohol, three fruit juices, and a drop or two of tincture. Help me out here, James. Where is it? Tincture. T I N. Tincture. Tincture. Tincture? Tincture, yeah. of tincture. Opium. Tincture sounds like a known character. Right. Tincture? I'm
2: tincture. It's like a wee, I don't know, it's like a... Wee Goblin? Wee Goblin. A wee, t- uh, well, I saw a Wee Timorous Bushy on there.
1: So tincture is a small amount, is what you say. So a, t- a tincture of opium.
2: Uh, oh, okay, so opium is in there. Nice. So that's
1: what you get in there,
2: yes. Uh, Once again, uh, Grog Talk may sp- discuss uh, drug use, um uh, as opposed to just demonology, apparently, so.
1: We do, well, if you're gonna take opium, just take a tincture. <laughs> take a tincture. We, just, we only recommended a tincture, James. Right. What's wrong with that? It's, it makes the, makes, the, makes the
2: medicine go down. Tincture. Mm-hmm. Let's see what a tincture is. Okay. Medicine made by dissolving a drug in alcohol. Oh, there it is.
1: Well, opium, it wasn't Sherlock Holmes was an opium. I I think, he, he
2: was a partaker of
1: it, mm-hmm. that's right. Okay.
2: Tincture. So, you know, this, the only part of, the only poor, difficult part of the early part of the show is our folks who are on, and welcome to all those of the Grog Empire on there, is that we have an English teacher on there. We have someone who does translations and proofreading for a living. So everything we say is basically on notice that we're probably saying something stupid.
1: Because, you know, James, there's two really good things about D&D players. The first thing is that they're really smart. Well, there's a good thing and a bad thing. Sorry. Mm-hmm. The good thing, of course, is that they're really smart. Right, and the bad thing is, that they're really smart. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that
2: close to the perineum? Yeah, uh, possible.
1: Wait, let's roll.
2: Hold on. Is the tincture next to the perineum?
1: <laughs> it sounds like a song.
2: Is <laughs> the tincture? Tincture is next to the perineum. Isn't that what they teach in medical school? Yes, but Inter- and <laughs> it's a butt Man, a butt. Yes, there's thank a, you. There's a butt in your body. He wanted he he he. Well played, sir. Uh, the angry monk is the one who provided us these dice and knew that one of the answers was yes, but.
1: You know what they say about the perineum? Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no,
2: wait a minute. That's a good that's, good, that's that's a lot. Well, very good. So we are, for those who can't see the live stream, we are sporting some new regalia, uh, some new uh, swag, mm-hmm. because it's here. Wait a minute, I, have, I, know you, I know you love when you hear this. You can't hear it, but you is coming. GrogCon is coming and we are wearing the official con shirts for 2021. Woohoo! Golf clap, laughing. <laughs> golf clap. Yes, and uh they just came on Wednesday. Uh uh that is uh, we're super excited uh that these are available. Um that feels legitimate now that we have the shirts. Now, I, ca- I do have to know, Jay? We're not changing the date, right? Cuz we printed at October 15th through 17th, right? So that's when we're having
1: that. <laughs> well, you just do, you know, it's very old school just to cross it <laughs> off. Cross it off. And, so, uh, something happened last night, James, mm-hmm. and you were involved in this that hadn't happened to me probably since junior high. Okay. Yes. You, 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 you asked me what color shirt was I wearing? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, Dan, what, car, what shirt are you wearing tomorrow? That's to right. cool. That's right. Because we didn't want to clash.
2: But. Yes, and, and on the screen, they look very similar. Mine is more of a muted green. Yours is a gray. But mm-hmm. uh, those are uh, available now. You can order them. So how this is going to work is if you're coming to the show uh, and you want a shirt to sport around to represent GrogCon, Go out to the links. They're on Twitter. They're on Discord. Uh, Put your order in. No money is needed now. Bring $20 with you And the day of the show. After you check in, you'll come to the Grog Talk table, and either Dan or I or someone will hand you your shirt if you hand us $20. But if you do not order your shirt before uh, July 31st, or I think it's August 31st now, some July, it's out there on the thing, if you don't order it, we're going to have a very limited supply of shirts. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have 300 shirts, and you go, oh, I'll just get it there. there. I may have four shirts extra. We're like, not Target. Right, we're not Target, and we're not getting stuck with these, and we're not sending them to third-world countries where people <laughs> think, like, Grog Talks, GrogCon's the most amazing thing.
1: Don't ask if we have any in the back. Right. There's none in the back. There is no back.
2: Right, and there's two styles of shirts that you can get. You can get this one if you're not part of the Grog Empire. But if you are part of the Grog Empire, there's a separate shirt that says member of the Grog Empire. The price is the same. Uh, you can get that and you can put your orders in. And these are the
1: only, don't ask for other colors. Right. The colors, that's
2: right. There's the colors. there And, but we did make women's and men's style shirts. So if you have, if you are of the female persuasion or you want to get one for your wife. I got one for my wife. She's very, well, my son Brandon got one for his significant other. So ladies.
1: Wait. They're wait, all there. Oh. wait, 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 wait. Stop. There, what are the odds that your wife is going to wear that T-shirt, other than maybe as a pajama top?
2: She wore it yesterday. Where? Exactly. Here. <laughs> the house. In the house. Okay.
1: Now that you think about it, I don't mean to cause trouble. Okay. No, I, I, she,
2: I, I don't know if she went out with the shirt because
1: I was right. not here. Let's find out. If, let's right. find out if your wife likes the shirt. Did she like the shirt? Yes. She did like the Without shirt. Without an exclamation point, but that's fair.
2: Because she likes it because it's actually made for women. It's got a V-cut. It's not, you know, typically these shirts are just generic mm-hmm. men's shirts. So she was happy about it. Good that. job with that, James. So uh, she was very happy. And anyway, my point of all this is we people wanted a shirt. Again, I also want to shout out Adrian from our friend in Oakland, California. He is the one who designed this. Uh, Amazing
1: work. The the detail's fantastic. The detail's
2: fantastic. You can't really see all of it, but go look online. It's super cool.
1: Yes, because what I love about it, of course, is it has so many things. Related to us. It has us on it. Related to us. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And
2: nothing says my my oldest son's like, oh, good, I get to have my dad's face on my shirt. How exciting.
1: Yeah, I should make my daughter wear right. it to school. You should. You should make
2: Nico wear it to school, right? Well, he he takes school online, but maybe for a Zoom class, you'd mm-hmm. have to take it. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, get those out there. It's coming October fifteenth through the seventeenth. Tickets, badges—excuse me, badges are available. Uh, you can go to our website, which will take you to Tabletop Events. It's forty dollars for the whole weekend. Um, There'll be a tournament that Dan and I will be associated. We'll be running separate games. Vic Dorsos coming down. The Scourge of the North is coming down to run games and play with his uh, lovely significant other, the Strangler. Uh, Carlos Licing and Amanda are coming down from Castle Entertainment. They're running. They're developing the module for the adventure. A lot of fun.
1: This may be the first time in the history of the world that the phrase "his lovely significant other, the Strangler" right has been said of the
2: North. Right. So if you can make it, please. Come on down. I know a lot. we're very fortunate. Uh, we have uh, a lot of folks all over the world, and certainly the idea of traveling in a COVID pandemic, post-pandemic world to go see a bunch of people play DD may not be as inspiring. To catch COVID. Right. <laughs> Come back. Come back and it, bring it back to your country. That should have been the shirt. Maybe I'll have to make another shirt. I came all the way to yes, and all I, got, I, COVID. I came
1: all the way to this Cotton convention. All I got was COVID.
2: Right. Yes. Yes. That I would, love it. That would be. Well, well, it'll be for after the show, probably. I, by October, they're going to have like the theta variant, which will
1: instantly mm-hmm. kill you. So I wouldn't worry about Maybe it. Maybe we'll create a variant. Yeah, well, it's like a new thing for Concrud. Oh, hold on. Shall we carry this over, too? Yep, yep. Hold
2: on just a second. We we've got a, We've got someone to get on. All right, we'll be right back, folks. We're going to go to a quick intermission. Support Grog Talk by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com/grogtalk. And we are back. Uh, so Dan, we have a little figure now that's joined us. Why
1: don't you introduce our guest? So it is our pleasure to have on the show the great Janelle Quays, uh famous, of course, for uh, writing adventures as well as art, multi-talented. So Janelle, welcome to the show. Well, good morning. Good morning. That's right. Good morning. Good morning. It is. And you are in the central time zone. So thank you for it. It's earlier for you than it is for us. So so thank you. Yeah. And
3: and, and it's early on a Saturday. So if you actually hear noise in the background, I live in a suburban neighborhood and it's morning on a Saturday. So you're going to hear yard work. You're going to hear... All sorts of things in the
1: background. Well, we're used to, with, with the Zoom era now. I think people are getting used to that right? with those interruptions. So, so no worries. So, so thanks for coming on the show. So, uh, I, and James, and I back in the day, we basically just knew TSR. But now, like many people with this old school Renaissance or revival, we've started learning about materials that we didn't know about back in the day. And one of the things that I continued to see over and over again was, was your name and your adventures. And that's how I came to, to know about your material. Uh, and so for people that don't know you, uh, you of course wrote uh, adventure, you wrote the Dungeoner Magazine, which we'll talk about back in the day, one of the very earliest uh, fanzines for d and And then you worked for a year for Judges Guild and wrote some very highly regarded uh, adventures and then uh, on to a video game design, and you also, of course, have done great artwork. But so, can, can, so I, and I know you've told this story many times, uh, but can you take us back to, I know that you were working, you were in college when you discovered D&D, and, and I noticed something that you had said on an interview recently, which I thought was very interesting. You talked about The Lord of the Rings and, and how you'd read The Lord of the Rings, and you talked about The Lord of the Rings calendars coming out in the 70s. And I want. So what I wanted, what you didn't mention, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Did you feel like the time was right for a game like D and D to take off with sort of the Lord of the Rings becoming so popular in the mid seventies?
3: Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, my brother and I have been making up games that were essentially role playing games without rules for years. it was just how we did our play when we were children. Uh, so, uh, I was always into things—I'll call it—you know—some young adult fantasy, children's fantasy. Was starting to get into. I was into science fiction in high school, and then um, I just, my dad actually had a Conan the Barbarian book that got me hooked on that. Um, so I've I was already. Re- really deeply engrossed in like Edgar Rice Burroughs, anything I could get from him. And the older fantasy works that (laughs) came from, um, you know, the 60s, 70s, and before, so Fafford and the Gray Mouser. um, By the time I was in high school, you know, I was collecting the Fafford, there was Fafford and the Gray Mouser um, comic books, at least a very short amount from DC. There was all the books. but what we weren't finding, we were finding a lot of heroic fiction, but there wasn't any, um, you know, what would, it was very hard to find anything that was pure fantasy, like Lord of the Rings. Um, so the ballot, when uh, Ian Ballantine, you know, started republishing all these um, fantasy books, you know, Lord, first of all, starting with um, the Lord of the Rings calendars, because um, the Hildebrand calendars weren't the first ones, mm. Um, Tim Kirk had done a fairly there was a Tim Kirk calendar and there was one that was just Tolkien's art himself I believe those are the the precursors to the, the Hildebrand calendars but when the Hildebrand calendars started coming out they were both oh wow this is such a great vision of the Lord of the Rings and oh no they got it entirely wrong <laughs> at the same time because they I love their work, but they weren't necessarily my personal vision of of what they um,
1: look should look like what, what so? well now I feel the need to ask you about the movies. so were the movies yes. the vision that you had of the books? Uh,
3: yes, no, maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I love the movies um, I don't necessarily love a lot of the changes that Peter Jackson made for whatever his reason of imposing his auteurship on them. Um, I'm very disappointed that they removed the whole Tom. Oh, tomb- uh,
1: tomb- thank you. Tomb- no, no, thank you. No, no. Thank you. That was going to be my next question. Thank you. Uh, um, even when I was right, I wrote, I wrote a
3: video game based on Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you know that.
1: that I don't know. Did you
3: read? Yes, I did. Um, Interplay in the 19, or late 1980s um, and then I think they published in 1990. They did, they got the license, remember like, uh, Lord of the Rings licensing was all messed up during that time period. Um, they got the license to do a game based on The Lord of the Rings. It kind of came in left-handed by the the earlier film versions of The Lord of the Rings um the the, anim- the animated one so i was assign- i got the job to do write the content and design the game for the first one lord of the rings volume 1 and it was originally supposed to go on the commodore 64 and a very very early ibm pc uh, game systems so I got no direction from that, so I ended up just writing more content than would fit into you know. I got I wrote enough to write creating an MMO, you know. There was that much content, so they actually produced the Reader's Digest version of what I created. But one of the sequences that was very important to me when I was designing this game was the whole Tom Bombadil sequence, um, you know the the the. Fr- the fr- Haunted Forest that they leave Hobbiton and go into, um, you know, being eaten by the tree, the uh, Barrow Whites, beyond. That was gone, too, that whole thing in the Barrow White tombs. So, yeah, I was kind of disappointed by that. And yeah, and then there was all this extra content added on.
1: Yeah, so, yes, James is not a fan. I am a fa- You know, I keep telling James. I have two books of The Lord of the Rings. There's one that's conspicuously absent. Uh, oh, okay. Which is the, which of the three books? Sorry, our interviews kind of go the way our show goes. It goes a bit cool. off the rails at times. Which of the three ah. books is the best, in your opinion? Jim? Elsie for the ring. Thank you. I'll give uh, I'll give her a ding ding. You. I'm a fellowship. I'm a Tom
2: Bombadil. Yes, if I want to listen read long prose for for pages at a time
1: and nothing happens, <laughs> yes, it's
2: a one. Those are wonderful books. It's,
1: but when I was It's full tw- of character setup and development, oh. and it's like the best. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it, it, she probably also likes gnomes. She, she probably does like not gnomes. garden. Okay. All right. So tell us about so Lord of the Rings. So you're a Lord of the Rings fan, and you. Your brother was a game. You weren't the Avalon Hill person. Your brother I was my brother. I had a few Avalon Hill games, but my brother
3: is was s- still is, you know, he's, a, he's retired from his uh, from the post office these days. But he's still a gamer. And, um, and he was and-
1: your younger. He's younger than you, right? Because it's your. I don't
3: know. This, I don't understand this retirement thing.
1: So. So so, um, so tell. So how is it that your younger brother is responsible for you getting into D and
3: D? All right, my younger brother played. Um, was really into the the Avalon Hill strategy board games, military strategy board games, and he subscribed to their magazine called the General, Avalon Hill's um, General magazine. Well. It's no different then than it is now. But if you get on one mailing list, you're on everybody's mailing list. And Metagaming Concepts in in Austin, Texas, sent my brother a sample of their magazine, which was issue number two of The Space Gamer. And in that magazine, you know, he was, I was living in college, he was at home. So he calls me up at work when I was working on the college radio station, uh, fall, uh, I think it was roughly October, 1975. And he says, here, let me read this to you. This is—this sounds like something you'd like. And he read me these two very short reviews of uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And I was like, oh my God, this is like what I've been looking for all my life. Um, just something that could put what i've been enjoying in my fantasy reading the lord of the rings and the other bo- the heroic fantasy books into a play situation
1: did you have any real idea of what he was describing to you so i came from the avalon hill games you know that's how i got introduced to it and I remember when I first started playing Dungeons & Dragons, it was so bizarre. It was just so different from anything I was used to. When he described it to you and he read that review to you, did you really, other than that you knew it was fantasy and it sounded like what you wanted to do, did you have any concept of what he was describing to you? Not really.
3: Not really, because the whole, the whole concept of a uh, type of gameplay that wasn't on a board was kind of alien to us at the time. Um,
1: and so, 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 what happened next? So, y- you know, you want it, and I assume, I, uh, you, you assume you're going to order it.
3: Yeah. The, uh, the the next thing ended up well. There was two things that happened next. One of them was we ordered. I ordered copies of the game, um, and I think some of my friends did too. Um, my brother ordered a copy of Tunnels and Trolls because it was cheaper. Hmm. Um, this is the old old tunnels and trolls that was literally mimeographed and then stapled together. Um, and then the other thing they said was, "Hey, we need artwork for our magazine." And so I just started taking ink sketches or doing sending them ink doodles, and they started and metagaming started publishing them in the Space Gamer, which. And I took their, rather than taking their 50 cents or whatever it was per image, I went and lot took the store credit, which was twice that, and used it to buy more games. So I ended up getting more, you know, Blackmore and um, some of the, the other extensions that came out from TSR and the DICE and... Um, more games. I think I ended up getting White Bear, Red Moon, the um, board game from uh, Chaosium about Rune, that was a precursor to RuneQuest. So I, I got a number of my early gaming fix through metagaming um, as a store credit for doing
1: artwork for their little magazine. Oh wow! And, and you said this this changed your life. This event it changed my life what- because, well, at that point. I
3: was, a, I was a sophomore in college. Let me see, at that point. No, I was a junior in college, even though I was only my third semester. Um, I was probably aiming towards a career in art, probably commercial art of some kind eventually. And it literally brought into focus this way, this, these people who needed artwork um, that were comic books. I mean, I, I, my dream as a child was to become a comic book artist and writer. That was that was one of my fantasies. Um, So I did did change my life. It opened up a a new venue for where I could probably go with a career. Um, And I started cranking out artwork and metagaming became my first uh, commercial client um,
1: within the next year. And tell us about so when your first game. So I know that um, you've got tunnels and trolls that that your brother has gotten. You've got D and D. I assume we're talking. We're obviously talking O D and D. Original D and D. I we're talking white box. So you got right. So a white box arrives. Uh, a, well, actually, actually, what arrived first was Greyhawk. Why? That seems odd, right? Because that's the supplement, right? I mean, that's not telling you much of anything. Oh, is she frozen?
2: Yeah, a little bit. She locked up for a second. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Yeah, hold. Yeah. Wait, are you there, Janelle? Sorry,
1: we missed. We, we, you got
2: skipped. You back?
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, we missed. So, you. Yeah, so, yes. wh- so why does gray? because Greyhawk is a supplement. Hawk's not going to tell you how to play the game. It's like kind of like coming into the middle of a movie, I would assume.
3: Right, and that's that's how we came to understand. You know, I and my friends came to understand D anD D in the first place was through what we saw in Greyhawk, and oh, and chainmail. So there, we, you know, we had the original spiral bound. Um, not that spiral, but the little the plastic clipper clipper binding on this backside of the book. That was our understanding of how we came to know. Um,
1: Indeed, for the first time, so uh, it was a bit confusing. Yeah, who, um, yeah. Who, how, did you fig- how did you figure it out? I mean, chainmail has get miniature rules. I mean, are you thinking, oh, we need miniatures and we've got to play? We
3: did get miniatures, but it was a lot of this whole fighting as five men or fighting. You know, where the monsters were given equivalents of being worth certain types of uh, human units in, in play. So. Yeah, it was kind of confusing. Um, so we just started. But I got the rules, and because of it was, we were by the time I got them, it was like we were getting close to Christmas break. Um, I was in prep to go on an art trip, um, college art trip in January. So I was gone. I was out of the USA for a month in January. And while I was gone, the rules arrived, and – I think my either my roommates or one of my friends was able to get them out of the college mailbox at school and get their hands. Or maybe they were delivered to my brother and somehow they got them from him. But they had the rules a month before I
1: did my my copies of the rules. Did that at least you're not bitter? Did, did that did that upset you? No, oh, not really. Okay. But, they get to, they um, have to figure so, it out.
3: Because I was in Europe, being sick, seeing all the hospitals of Europe.
1: Oh no! Oh, well, really? Where did you go in Europe, and what happened?
3: We uh, went to the went to London, went to Paris, um, Lake Ge- or to Geneva, um, Milan, Florence, and Rome. And in Rome, I started exhibiting symptoms of. I'm um, roll, please. The
1: measles. Oh. Wow! Oh, had you not been vaccinated? Well, that wasn't. That didn't. Exist. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh. Oops. Yeah, that didn't exist. And, but I had had
3: measles oh. at least a couple times as a child, um, You know, including both rubella and I guess what they called the hard measles. Back yeah, I think then. the MMR came out way later.
1: Oh, okay. So, my, well, like my kids. <laughs> yeah. but, um, okay, so, so you come back. <laughs> that's a, I come
3: that's back, annoying. and one of my, you know, so were there. People are were kind of poking at it, but we nobody none of us had run a game yet. And one of my one of my friends said, Hey, I've got a friend back home and um, he, you know, he he runs the game and he'd be willing to come up and run a game for us. And so he came up like on a Saturday night um, up to Spring Arbor, Michigan from Coldwater, Michigan. And we ran our first game in the lobby of the radio station. Oh, wow.
1: And I remember, I saw online in one of the interviews, you, you said that he sounded so mysterious. He sounded mysterious because he was a quote, dungeon master.
3: Right. And he claimed that, you know, when he walked down the street, if he saw Gary Gygax, if, he, if Gary Gygax saw him, Gary Gygax would cross the road <laughs> to get away. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow.
1: this, this was. Um, so, so you played it for and James. You can't make this up. I'm going to ask James a question. James, what do you guess Janelle's first character was? What class, and did she, her character live or die?
2: This is Greyhawk, right? Greyhawk and old and this white box. This is
1: old school social. You're playing a. Uh, what do you think? What is? Uh, come on. It's what is everyone? I'm assuming it's going to be a
2: magic user.
1: And is... does she live or die?
2: Well, she dies horribly. Probably. So,
1: Janelle, what character class did you play, and what happened to your character in that first adventure?
3: Uh, James gets, you uh, know. 100 points. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, um, thank you. Oh, and some cash. I've seen a magic user. And and she died. I think she was hit injured by orcs um, and then a no, she was she was injured by a carrion crawler who paralyzed her and then
1: orcs came along and killed her. I can't tell you how many people that we've had on the show guests who when they we asked them what was your first character what happened? It was a magic user and they died. Yeah. and what's interesting about it is and, and i wonder if that's so why do you think that is do you think it's because i not why did you die we know why that is because it's old school but is it i guess because people when they come to the game they want to play they, they want to use magic
3: yeah i think so i mean it's it's mysterious i mean we 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 see the movie you know work we grew up on sword and sandal um type um movies and so you, you know what sword swinging is you know what fight you know what fighting's going to be like but the whole idea of that okay i'm going to throw magic missile oh and i'm done for the day <laughs>
2: just, that's true. And just as you, James, if you're lucky, you have magic missile. I mean, you could have. He didn't memorize it. Friends or message or some push. other exciting. Yeah. Push exactly.
1: Well, well jane J- I think we were allowed to choose our oh, spells, okay. but yeah. uh James, he doesn't like Tom bombadale He would just play fighter. He just like played a Tom fighter. Ba- it's not about. He just played a fighter. Okay.
2: Again, my 12 year old me, when it was assigned to me in New York City. I was excited about reading it. It's eight, you know, it's eight, fellowship's eight hundred pages. I'm not much of a reader. You don't need to be defensive. I'm, I'm not. Def- I'm just explaining the context of it. I could read it now. I just prefer The Hobbit, which is a much. I'm a simpler man. I wish I was more complicated, but I'm. Well,
1: not. you know, what's interesting is Janelle. I know she's on the show. I'm talking about yeah, like she's, like she's, she's not here. She's person. She came to the. Ho- she came to the Hobbit later. You read Lord of the Rings. Right, and then I, I read The Hobbit later. Most of us discovered The Hobbit and we're like, oh my god, the Lord of the Rings. You were the opposite. So I hope, it, I hope the Hobbit wasn't a letdown for you. No, it was just strange. <laughs> oh. And then, you know, why were they calling these orcs goblins? I don't know. Oh, that's right, because she'd been versed in, yeah, the Lord of the Rings. So you play that first game. And, and what is it about the fact that when your character dies in that first game, you're still hooked, right? I assume even though you died a grisly death, you were hooked. Yes, I was. Why? So what, what is it about a game that will kill your character and you're hooked?
3: I don't know because maybe I, maybe I wanted to do it to other people now because <laughs> most most of my playing oh. afterwards came as a dungeon that, master. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so that explains why you became so, a dungeon master.
3: I mean, I played, but a lot of my characters afterwards—I don't even remember the name of that first character. In fact, I think the DM took my character sheet from me oh, afterwards. Yeah, tore it up,
1: tore it,
2: right in front of you. Yeah,
3: that, that was hor- would have been horrible, but. You know, she played for all of three hours total, maybe. Why, um, why
1: did Dungeons & Dragons become your game of choice? What, what happened to Tunnels & Trolls? I didn't have the rules. Those are my uh, brothers. Got oh, okay. Oh, that's right, because you were in college and he was in high school. I was in
3: college yeah, and he was
1: in right. yeah. high school. Got it. Yeah, it got
3: sense. it. And there really was nothing else. Um, for us, at least, until uh, the summer of nineteen seventy-eight, when RuneQuest came out, and and I, picked up, I think I picked up Traveler before then, but it just the science fiction stuff, the way it was presented, just wasn't for me. And in
1: nineteen seventy-six, so you're so this is nineteen seventy-six, right? Seventy-five is your Christmas year. Your- yeah, seventy-six is my first game, like February
3: of seventy-six. That's roughly when I think it was. And
1: then. In June of 1976, the Dungeoneer comes out, your famous uh, magazine, fanzine. I have mainly one question for you. What were you thinking? So you're in college. Good you're in college. This is—so we've we 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 we've learned from your mistakes, Janelle. Have we learned? We, so no, well. we have, because yeah. we've hired an editor we have an to editor. do all of our work for this, us. This is
2: our flipping and turning, our, our local fanzine that we put out okay. for you. are you're, you're in college— well, that's why I have to show it to you because you, you're on you're a different camera than the camera that we have. So, yes, we have all, all our fans, the folks of our show, they contribute to this, and we put it out quarterly. But we don't do it because we're yes, we're, we, we delegate.
1: So again, I ask, what were you thinking? Well,
3: let, let's let's flip back a little bit, a little bit a little bit of personal history here. In high school, I was involved in doing my school newspaper oh, okay. and the school yearbook, So. Layout skills. Mm. I already, I, I knew them, and then in college, um, I actually ran at the end of this, my freshman year. I ran to be the uh, editor of the school newspaper, the school, yeah, the student newspaper on campus. I lost the election, but I still participated and worked on the um, the newspaper, including um, doing all the production set up for the first couple issues over that some over the summer of 1975 so um, i had all these production skills and i knew how to do a paste up for reprinting using um taking type um just use the typewriter type to put together a newspaper with content and paste up and the whole thing so Coming into the fall of 1975, I already had all those skills in place. Yeah. When we got around to you know playing the game, we looked around and there wasn't any. At least again in central Michigan, there was. It was kind of a desert initially where I was at for um, for game content. And but if you went to the larger universities nearby, I went to a very small school. Um, But I could drive 45 minutes and be at the University of Michigan or Michigan State University, Um, or if I went to the West, I could go to Western Michigan. So we're surrounded all by all these larger colleges, which had campus had college towns around them with bookstores and game stores and stuff. So we made regular pilgrimages to those areas. But what we didn't see was any stuff for playing D&D. There there was nothing like adventures yet. There was no magazines. So I said, hey, we're a bunch of creative people. I said, looking in the mirror. And why don't we make our own, um, you know, take our own ideas that we've been having here and make our own little pub magazine for it or fan magazine. A couple of my friends thought that sounds like a good idea. I don't think they realized what what they were getting signing into signing
2: themselves up for.
3: You. <laughs> uh, um so we I wrote we came up with an idea for the magazine. We called ourselves the Fantastic Dungeoning Society. Not realize not thinking that the an acronym the acronym FDS was also the acronym for a popular feminine um, uh, deodorant spray at that oh. time. <laughs> so <laughs> It was, better, it was better known as FDS. And um, so we, we started it. We came up with the ideas and what we're going to do with it. And then I wrote to TSR and said, hey, if we create a fan magazine and use this name, are we stepping on your feet in any way? Are we using your trademarks? Are we, you know, we going to be in trouble? And we got a, got a letter back. I think it was from Mike Carr. And he said, no, no, go, go ahead. Just go ahead. And then I think Tim Cass wrote something that said, okay, here's what you can't do. And that's just don't include a lot of our material in your fan magazine. You know, you can put snippets in, but don't, you know, take. Copy the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Of ODD and put it in your fan magazine. So we didn't. Um, the only thing we really copied was format for um, some of the, car- you know, the mo- monster formats, things like that. And so we started production on it. Um, one of my friends and I, one of my friends, Mark Hendricks, had, well, he wanted to be a fiction writer. So he created a, an article or a story called The Arcane Elders. Um, we came up with some monsters we've been joking, playing around with. And I wrote, I dug, said, hey, you know, what about a game adventure in it? Because I think by this point I may have seen Alarms and Excursions, The Apazine. I'm not certain. I can't remember exactly. But nobody was publishing game adventures. I mean, so we went, I wrote, I went into some of my existing uh, game content and grabbed a very short, isolated snippet of an adventure that became Fichalrak's tomb. And that's how you pronounce it Fichalrak. Fichalrak. A lot of questions there.
1: Fichalrak. (laughs) Fichalrak. 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 Right. So just that's why. Now, do you your first issue came out in June 1976? Yep. I believe that is the first issue, also June 1976, of the Dragon, the magazine, right? And I believe what you've told me is that you a few months before that you wrote to TSR asking for approval. You see where I'm going with this, James? For approval mm-hmm. to create a magazine, right. And then coincidentally, coincidentally. The dragon comes out at the same time. Right. Have you ever is have you ever thought that perhaps the dragon stole your idea?
3: That's right. They're like, oh, this is no. a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: Would you say um, yes just to help our ratings? Yes. <laughs> oh. Okay. No, no, I'm
3: going to be controversial. No. <laughs> um, no. What happened was is um, I don't they've been producing um, strategic yeah, strategic review. review. Yes. Yes. Strategic
1: review. Yeah. Strategic review
3: for some time. Yeah. The strategic review, T S R. Um, so I had already acquired most of the, I already had a subscription to that and I had acquired most of the content. And I think, um, Tim let me know, yeah, we're looking for artwork for it and we're looking for content. So I submitted just a raft of, of little sketches. Um, and one of them ended up in the first issue of dragon.
1: And you, which sketch was it that made it in the first issue? I, I looked at the first issue and I couldn't figure it out. Easy. It's
3: a little wizard character.
1: Um, it's very small. Oh, okay. Um, Did you sign it? Do you know? Possibly. Okay. Okay, we can find it then. Um, and I do knew- it's it's
3: black and white, and it's um, it was like you know, it was like filler artwork. Mm-hmm. So it, it's easy to you know fill space on okay. page.
1: And you're going to get a cover this- on Dragon. Art- you're going to cover. You do the artwork for a cover, Dragon. Uh, in geez,
3: winter of uh 77 78 i did a, a painting called um it was basically the it was the cover of it was a painting of a white dragon with a couple of ventures and i'm going to give you a little little thrill here i actually through habit
1: Right here. Dragon, oh wow! Dragon twenty one. Yes, dragon. Yeah, James. I didn't send that one to you. Is the cover dragon number twenty one? We've talked about this one, James. So, yes. and so what are we looking at, you know?
3: Um, it's a, uh, it's yeah. This is hard because um, you have the background. Being, yep. But we,
2: we get it. Yeah, it's, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to pull it up for people. Dragon twenty one. We can pull it up. But there
3: we go. Yeah. But it's being eaten by the the um. I just happened to have that because I scanned it in. I had to get it back from the person who held it. In fact, I got to put it in a box and ship it back to him. Um, I have to get it. I had to get it back from the person who owned it, who's had it for the last forty some years, and rescan it because it goes. It went into the history book. Wow! Oh, he had. I had submitted a. I had taken a. 35 millimeter slide of it back in 1978 because that's what I sent to TSR initially for um, that they were going to use and the, then they asked for the full artwork in return, you know, to, for it, but um, I, I had scanned in that slide and it had been included in the whole artwork that originally submitted to go with the history book and they put it and they filled the whole damn page with it, and the resolution on the part was so bad (laughs) that um, they said, we need a higher-res scan. So I actually had to get the artwork back, scan it in, color correct it, and then put it, give it back to um, Goodman for
1: the book. So
3: I'm not certain what the original question was now. No,
1: that's right. So, So did you get... So how did you feel when you saw that cover? How did you feel? That, you know, did you...
3: I was, I was excited. was It was not my first game magazine cover. Okay, really? Okay. But it was my first no, it was my first Dragon magazine though. Yeah, okay. I had already had um one cover appear on the Space
1: Gamer. Okay. Did you um and, and did you get co- did they send you like an extra copy at least of the magazine? Oh yeah, I had different copies of them. Okay. Um, you didn't have to buy them.
3: No. Okay. Good. Now, the magazine was probably I, I only probably I don't think I have any I had any extras that just my subscription copy. Okay.
1: Uh, so, uh, Jim Ward was your first subscriber, correct? How does yes. how, how does that happen?
3: Okay. The way that when we got ourselves ready to go to print, by the time we were ready to go to print in mid June. We had been scouring the Wild Hunt, other game magazines, the Backside of the General. Anywhere that somebody listed their address as a, I am a gamer and I am looking for other gamers to play with. Um, People did that back then. Um, We put together a mailing list. It was about 100 names. Jim's name was on that list, and we sent, we printed something like 200 some copies of the Dungeoneer, and we sent out 100 free, absolutely free, to just people on the mailing list. The same way that I got my copy of, literally the same way I got my copy of the Dungeoneer, or the uh, the Space Gamer originally. So we sent this out and said, hopefully, some people will like this and subscribe. Jim Ward
1: was the first partisan to respond. Awesome, that, that would be that yep. is great. And uh, so, you, as you had mentioned, uh, oh, and I should mention too that Jim Ward he becomes a contributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, right, so Jim has uh, he did an adventure. Right, he did the yeah. Pharaoh's tomb is in there. He, he, mm-hmm. he contributes. Uh, Lou Pulsifer, I noticed. I, I was looking through the Dungeoneer Compendium. Right, as, uh, for our viewers, right. issues one through six. Uh, which have been compiled together. And I noticed Lou Pulsifer, for example. You have you have some really prominent names of people contributing.
3: I know. I think I remember Lou. I don't know if I, I cannot remember specifically if he had anything in his, in my six issues. I know that Chuck and Chelt, just a second. Becky, would you want to bring um, Naughty Agatha here for a moment? Uh, yeah.
1: And that probably needs some explanation.
2: Yes. Oh, because all our viewers are yeah. hearing is bring the, the, Naughty bring, Agatha. Bring naughty Agatha. Yeah. This is, not this, this, not like some, this, we have that warning about demonology. In someone the first been kidnapped? Yes. <laughs> I have
1: her with exactly. <laughs> so so yeah, so Naughty Oh there's Naughty Agatha. Oh naughty. Tell us about Naughty Agatha. Okay. Um
3: my my wife has been had been looking at kitten pictures online, uh, people who we're saying it's because it's kitten season right now in the world. Well aware, and everybody was having little litters of kittens that they didn't know what to do with. So, um, <laughs> one of them
1: oh, wow. she's being very naughty, living up to her name. And just... yeah. Okay, I'm just... my wife's take her away there. <laughs> that's the problem with cats; they don't do what you tell them to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Um,
3: one of the people who said it, basically there was a kitten who, during one of our recent rainstorms, heavy rainstorms down here, she, this kitten had appeared in her backyard. No other kittens, just this one um, brown and red kitten. And she was she couldn't keep the cat because one she had she was allergic to the cat, and the other was the case, she had a dog who was thinking the cat was dinner. Mm-hmm. So we finally decided, okay, we've got three older cats, much older. We'd probably like to add one more cat to the mix so that when one of our kitties go, we have a replacement cat. That's <laughs> a terrible way to think about it. So, you know, she, she, she had no home at the time. So we basically said, okay, we will, t- we will take this kitten. And we drove uh, about half an hour over to a nearby town, small town. And just collected the cat and brought her home. And then we didn't know what we were going to name her. So we were just, we were trying names on her. And because we're both fans of WandaVision, um, Naughty Agatha. Agatha just seemed to work.
1: All right. Well, I'm glad Naughty Agatha it's, it's, made an appearance. Well, And so you
2: basically have another funnel for your cat trade since you are a foster, when you Overfill in there. Literally, you can't put any more cats in your dice tray. Yes, you could call Janelle and maybe she could foster some of yours for you. Yes.
1: Yeah. So yes, I foster kittens. So I'm well aware that it is is kitten season <laughs> right now. Uh, so one of the things that you mentioned, you mentioned uh, putting adventures in the Dungeoneer, and that of course was oh, something. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because that was something that TSR didn't really realize was was something that they could make a lot of money. Off of we know Judges Guild thinks about it, but you even really before Judges Guild, right, you realized. Well, I don't know if you didn't realize, it wasn't like you're trying to make money out of it, but you realized that there was a market for writing adventures for people to use.
3: Um, I'm not certain if it was uh, I realized anything or if it, wait a second here. I'm going to reach out of here. I'm, I'm being given oh. the juice of uh-huh.
1: life. Ah, no, that's Mountain Dew's the juice of life. You're, you're mistaken. Okay, well, this is
3: my my case zero. What
1: music and when you were at the radio station in the 70s, what music would you have been playing? Could you could, what 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 would have been on the uh, what do they call it, James? The turntable?
2: Um, oh, well, on the, the carts on the cart. We actually did have turntables. and the carts um, as well. The cart well, they would have.
3: This was a Christian co- This was a Christian um. college, so we were playing anything from classical music because um, upstairs there was an entire library of. Vintage seventy eight wow. mm-hmm. so the the brittle Bakelite yeah. um, discs that we never used, and it was contemporary Christian music, um, gospel quartets. Oh, okay, um, kind of like what we play here. That's right. You're kind of music, James. All right. That's right. So
1: you. So, so yeah, yeah, it was it was it was it was Christian music of some variety or other. So I know that you are disappointed. That you were not the first to publish a standalone. You were so close. Uh, you, you were second, of course, to We Warrior's Palace of the Vampire uh, Queen. Uh, and there had also been, I know you made reference to there had been the Dungeon of the Ground Goblins. This is where I'm showing off my knowledge of useless trivia. Yeah, Dungeon exactly. of the Ground Goblins, written by Steve Jackson, that had been games and puzzles in May of '76. But you, you were very close. So you're probably number two, uh, and you published several, right? So you also had Borshak's Lair, Night of Rand mm-hmm. Borschak's Lair, uh, Night of the Walking Wet you did uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so could you tell us so tell us a little bit about those adventures, the inspiration behind them. I and I'd particularly like to hear why. So you of all those adventures, you seem to really like running Borschak's Lair. I know you right you're doing work to convert it. Talk a little bit about mm-hmm. those three adventures and, and what is it about Borschak's Lair that you like so much.
3: Okay. Well first of all uh, Fachel Rex Tomb was just I found a section of one of my existing dungeons and I was in a, like a scientific notebook with the grids in it. So I just adapted that, wrote it out and fit. It was small. That's the big deal, the big part. It was small and it could fit on a couple pages, two or three pages. So for the next issue, um, I passed the baton to one of the other um, contributors, Merle Davenport, and he did, um, the garden, Merlin's Garden and unlike most of the other adventures we actually play tested that one
1: <laughs> Yeah, you never play tested uh, many uh, of your adventure. Yeah.
3: No, I, most of my stuff yeah. I've never play tested um, So we've had, we we play tested it, um, I did the maps for it um, we teed it up and then sent it, sent it off to, to get published, but I developed the, the next one that I developed. It fell back to me was to do um, the third issue, and I created this goblin layer. And I think it was mostly built around some of the goofy ideas like the talking door, um, the talking duck. Or the, actually, at this
1: point, it was yeah. The why fish. did you? I'm sorry, I have to stop you there. Oh, the talking fish. They hate. Uh, uh, the they hated. Drove them crazy. They hated it. They hated Fred. Um, why does Fred, so Fred, for those of you, so spoiler coming if you haven't been to Borshak's Lair. So, so we'll t- we'll tell us about about Fred the Amulet.
3: Well, at this point, one of the features of Dungeons and Dragons was swords with intelligence. Um, and if you think about it, it, draws, it really draws um, some of that inspiration from Elric. Um, you know, the, his, his cursed blade. And so I said, well, why not, why not give something else intelligence and why not make it annoying? <laughs> you got it. Good job. I think I overplayed S-scored, the annoying part. Check. Well, but he's very loyal. I don't think you can overplay the annoying mm-hmm. of Fred mm-hmm. the Magic hand.: They
1: felt he was so annoyed. Fred is very loyal. He is. And he's what? I think he's like a plus one protection. And he yep. does also like a... a shape. He can oh, change shape. Oh, you have a good memory. Yes. They, they... Because It's painful. You I'm guys, sorry. you just like dumped him, didn't you? Like throw him in a river or
2: something. I did not dump him. Okay. That uh, passed around. He was <laughs> passed given, around. He was given to one <laughs> thing. I think he, the character died. Then I think I had it for a while. It. Did you just say it?
1: Fred. Fred.
2: The fish. It's not an it. The talking fish. Very loyal. I do remember that. I could change self, and plus one. But had at least the way you played it, as the dungeon master, had this very. Uh, Tick to say things in the middle of encounters.
1: That's blame her, and that's act. That is actually a description. Thank you. So he did. He, he blurts things you're out. You're angry at her, he not blurts me. He things out. Wait, wow. He reveals. He words. does.
3: He's yeah. So <laughs> he's a. He's a terrible
1: friend. Why? Why? No, I, I, but not. I already
2: have one like that. You don't I need, need another friend. You didn't need another friend. I don't need another annoying friend who blurts things out inappropriately. I have okay. one next okay. to me.
1: I guess, I guess, we just kind of, it's organic, this show. We go where the, the conversation leads us. I guess we have to talk about ducks a bit now. So we're going to break a little bit from the chronology because Fred was a fish. And then Fred becomes a duck. And, and, and why? Why does Fred change to a duck? You've got a lot of duck themes. Why spread change it? Well, let's see. The,
3: the change to a duck came much, much later. Um, I had converted Horshack's Lair to work with the Quest rules, oh. which meant restructuring things. Um, it did, you know, it does, it, different types of creatures, different types of uh, uh, challenges, monsters. And I included in there... Um, you know, I kept Fred in there, but you know, the idea of a fish amulet was like, Why fuck, plant ducks." And I really thought back to something my dad had had when I was a child, and it was a in his car. Um, on the dashboard, for some reason, he had a wooden, a miniature wooden duck, like a a decoy. Okay, which is just a little little sculpture and he kept in his car for some reason. But that was what I originally remembered Fred as.
1: Okay, fair enough. And so...
3: Or later later on, later on. And then um, I re-envisioned him later, basically, as a wooden version of a rubber duck toy. Okay,
1: well, Fred's a fish to me, but that's, you know... So... And to me. And to you. So what was it, and, and I sort of interrupt you, what, not sort of, what was it about... Uh, Borschak's lair then that you know I know it's your adventure so it's kind of strange what did you like about your adventure but what is it about it that you, it draws you to it you, you, you keep coming back to it
3: um it's self-contained it's very small it's self-contained um it has a kind of a storyline to it or a simple storyline simple goal set to it um, it's got a lot of complicated really complicated traps in it um and it it's not necessarily the peak of my design but it was some really interesting design op challenges and play challenges and for both the for both the players and the game master because you had to try and figure out how to tell somebody they're inside a crystal cube they fell you, into one I think you guys draft. fell into that
1: and didn't was, you you guys yeah. did you fall into that yeah, yeah they don't like either yeah
3: and you know, I put the clues to solve it on the inside, or at least I thought All I did. All right there. All right there. So that it was, it was one of those super weird challenges, and so it made it in that way. And to, to understand things is that my... I The rules have ways that pe- players can use magic. My idea of my, oh, game world is that what the players have access to And what the world can can use in terms of magic are different. So I can go real crazy in my world, and the player will, it'll be something a player would never be able to do because this was made by the super high, powerful magic user, um, blah, blah, blah.
1: So. What I thought was interesting about your adventures in the Dungeoneer is I, I liked running them because I liked to get a sense of what was the game like before I started playing it. So both James and I came to it in the early 80s obviously this show is about first edition AD&D. We're not OD&D people, but I liked it. It was almost a, running those adventures was almost like a window to what games were like for the original version. And what I thought was interesting is you were so isolated. I mean, you've explained that. It's, it's you know, it, it's not like you really, you know, had a lot of people, you didn't have social media telling you how to play the game. The, the style of those adventures seem to me very much in keeping with the spirit of OD and D they're a little gonzo at times they're a little goofy at times so why do you think that was why were you writing adventures do you think that seemed to have the spirit of the times even though you were isolated
3: I think part of it is just because that was this is D&D this is what it was like back then it was was kind of a no limits um Do what you want to do, um, tell the stories you want to tell, but without as much structure, because that's what happened. That's what um, AD and D originally was. You're talking about first edition. First edition came about, or just AD and D came about, because TSR wanted to run wanted to have structure to run tournament adventures and you can't run tournament adventures if everybody's playing with the same house rule, you know, with their own house rules. Were you disappointed? And that's that's what was going on, was that OD&D was, here's a framework for for, for games, but every single GM had their own house rules, and so you end up with Arduin, um, and Tunnels and Trolls, actually, and all these different... um, uh, variant timelines. <laughs> there we go. Let's bring bring the temp, bring you know bring back this whole variance thing. But AD&D was says okay no if you're going to play at a game convention, these are the rules. You know, you you learn these rules, you know how to play, and you can play competition.
1: And to make things more confusing, of course, the Monster Manual is the first of the AD&D manual, right? So I mean, people, I assume people like you were playing a bit of a mashup.
3: We were. Um, we I acquired the game rules, the game book, the AD&D rules as they came out. So you know, the first one we had um, was it seventy six, seventy seven, the monster
1: manual, seventy eight, players' handbook,
3: seventy yeah, seventy seven. We got the monster manual, um, and then seventy eight. I think after it was the Gen Con of seventy eight, um, or around that time, they came out with uh, the players' handbook, and then it would be another year. Two years, I think, before um, the DM Guide came out.
1: What was your What was your reaction to? And obviously, I, we're going a little bit out of chronology. We'll get back, of course, to your judges' guild days. But yeah, we'll... what, what was your reaction to AD and D? So, uh, did you feel like it was getting too rules heavy for someone like you who had played OD and D?
3: No, no. I think we we, were, we enjoyed some of the structure and the better definition, and in some cases, the much better organization. Okay of the content. I mean, for me, when I look at a lot of game rules these days, one of the first things I say is how can I navigate this? How easy is this to navigate? Um, The OD&D books, I remember being able to navigate based on the artwork inside the books. Oh yeah, I remember that this table is across uh, across the page from this piece of artwork. Or this monster, if I flip over here, I can find it based on that piece of artwork. So that's how I navigated the original rule books. A, um, B, and D, the first one, like the monster manual, that was nothing but structure. Um, you know, everything was alphabetical, everything was um, had nice pictures, and so everything, it was all well-formatted. Now, by the time it got to, the player's handbook was pretty much the same. I'm not, the DMG was a little more chaotic. Yeah. It's almost like, an, a it's like an
2: encyclopedia, that just random articles of stuff.
1: Right. Oh, right. The, the name of our magazine, Flipping and Turning, comes from the fact that we always joke about how we're always flipping and turning, you know, for find the rule. And where is it? You don't know where it is. Uh, and that's that is, and that's something that
3: still frustrates me about, like, um, retro clones. Is that a lot of the retro clones they they brought that yeah. <laughs> they brought
1: that aspect of the game. Well, it's back. funny you said that because I was just about to say, and I don't play retro clones. I did buy Ostrek, uh, but I, I I went back to the original sources. I was going to say I would assume that the benefit of the I don't a lot of times I don't understand why people play retro clones as, as opposed to the original. But I think one of the reasons might be because it is better organized. But if what you're saying is that's not always the case. Well,
3: some yeah. are like why I ended up. When I was getting back into the idea of running D and D like adventures at conventions, because um, I don't have a regular gaming group, um, I looked at some of the retro clones and end, ended up settling on Swords and Wizardry because it was OD and D, but better organized.
1: Yeah, yeah. and th-
3: that's the best way I can.
1: Well, that makes sense. When you know it's you know it's rough when A D and D was better organized than O D and D. You know O D and D was a mess if AD&D is better organized. Well, but
2: that's, and we've talked about that too here, is when we grew up, started playing, that do-it-yourself mindset had, had already passed in some extent. So we we grew up with first edition. It was like, we, we joke, these are the holy trinity. These books, you know, they're, this is how you're supposed to play. And I think there is that going back, almost like in a history context of looking how it was very D.Y.I. And that's, and and and, not realizing the history that was before first edition it's very similar to my son you know before i you know fifth edition is what they play it's like there were other editions you know it's just D and it's there's always history to that and so janelle i just had a question because you know obviously you started with art you're an artist you became this you became a publisher and an author but you're also well known for designing dungeons you know and that you talked about how you design them. and so and a lot of your later work is in design. When did you realize you were a designer as well and, and what was your approach to it at uh, that?
3: Um, probably I realized that I was a designer when there was someone who was going to pay me to do it. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a goofy way to look at it. But um, when I st- when I graduated, okay, by the time I graduated from college, I had done the adventures, several adventures in the Dungeoneer. Including one which essentially became a, a sort of a mega dungeon, which was Night of the Walking Web. Yeah,
2: there it is. Yep.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, which by the way, that's a reproduction that's a
1: reproduction or
3: a reproduction of the origin. yeah,
1: so North North Texas, I think, did it. And
3: yeah, all I did for I think I wrote an intro. Uh, I wrote um, an intro to it of some
1: kind, and I read. I did a cover. And there's a signed version yeah. by you.
3: There
1: so, we go. Um, and th- I would like to mention that I loved your A Dungeoneer Origins memoir. So, for one of the reasons to get this is to read Janelle's intro on a, uh, talking about the Dungeoneer magazine, which is really good. It's it's well thought out. It's about five pages, so i sorry. Yeah. So you did *Night of the Walking Wet*. And so that
3: was fairly complicated, complex storyline-driven, back super heavy on the backstory type of adventure. And a lot of people weren't doing that. I think even *Judge's Guild*. I mean, *Judge's Guild* didn't come along till '77, I believe. Um, if if or they were getting started in the summer of '76. I can't remember the exact. Uh, time frame but I think yeah I picked up the judges Guild stuff at Gen Con in seven, summer 77 that's when I subscribed. So I graduated, so graduated from the uh, end of January end of December 787, I sold the Dungeoneer to someone else. Um, you talked about how could you do this as a college student? And the answer was, by the end of '77, it was pretty much just me working on the magazine. Um, we were most of the other contributors had either left school or were um, we were all focusing on graduation the next year. We were seniors, and we had a class load that of uh, you know 300 and 400 level classes. So it was a lot of work. And as an artist, it was even more work. Um, because I had to do not only the classwork hours, but I had studio hours, studio hours as well.
1: Did when you sold the Dungeoneer, Did you view it as making any sort of decision about your future, or am I way overthinking it?
3: You are overthinking. Okay. Um, at this point, I I sold the. I found a buyer for through recommendations from some friends, and. He took a, he you know, he paid he basically the way way it worked was is he took all the stuff all the content off of my hands and left me with the bank account. That was how he, it was purchased. Mm,
1: right. And and so you then so you finished and I did the walkway, because James had asked you about your design. Do we see so there's this famous phrase now, right? Jay quaying the uh, you don't, yeah, Oh yeah. You, don't like the, you don't like that you don't like that. Well, first of all, it's Qu- it should be Jaquaysy. Because my name ends in an "s." Jaquaysy, so. Jaquaysy, okay. Jaquaysy the dungeon. Jaquaysy, that's a spee. That's a that's What's you? You're entitled to Quasi the dungeon. So, and, and James, I don't know if you've read this, and I'm sure Janelle has. There's this three-part oh, yeah. blog on on Jaquazing the dungeon, and it reads. It's, it's. I mean, it's very well written, and I mean, I'm sure you're very fl- you're flabbed. Yeah. Is it, right. So is it an over? So when you read that, it's like reading a dis I mean it's not that long, it's very well written, but it's almost like you're reading somebody's master thesis, like explaining like, you know, this this a piece of literature. When you read that, were you like, okay, I never intended that? Or did you read it and go, like, yeah, that's what I was trying to do?
3: No, I read it like saying, okay, that apparently that is what I was doing, but it was like I had the, I was on a I had a Twitter uh, exchange yesterday where um, someone who's a, a woman who's a designer said yes the way you design your works you know changed my life you know the way I design and you know I read the the Justin Alexander um, article and I was like yeah, yeah I'm glad you did that but you have to understand that back in the day it was like do I put my slacks on. You know, I'm putting my slacks on. Do I choose which one is more important? Do I choose the left slack the pant leg or the right pant leg or do I pull them both on at the same time? It was not a conscious thought. It was just the way I designed. But it was just the way I did it. But the
1: great but um, the great thing is there are people who have pointed out what was good about what you were doing. And now people who it isn't intuitive for. I mean, I honestly, when I read that again last night, I'm like, okay, for the turn of adventure I'm writing, I need to put some of that in the adventure. Right. I'm like, you, you fall off the wagon. I'm like, I'm not doing some of these interesting things. So for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with your adventures, what, how would you describe Jaquazin? Ch- Have I got it Chiquazing. right now? It's kind of hard to pronounce. Yeah. How would, you, how would you describe Jaquazin the Dungeon?
3: Yeah, the basic uh, the basic elements of this nonlinearity is that the content in your adventure needs to be playable and be varied in the play, depending on where you enter the adventure at. So, if like if you've got a simple game dungeon map and you have two different entrances, if you come in entrance A the way you encounter the, the, uh, the different people, the different situations is going to be different than if you came in th- through it, through um, entrance B. Yet both entrances are valid ways of playing through the game. And your content should be able to react to whether you played it in sequence A or sequence B because that makes it dynamic. Um, the second way, the second approach is think of your world in, if I remember correctly, think of your world in multiple levels or multiple in, in height variances, put a third dimension. Um, a lot of things that were going on in dungeons way early on was that everything, everything was drawn on a single plane because we were using graph okay. paper. Crack paper made you think of things in two dimensions. So one of the changes I made is that, okay, we start thinking in three dimensions. So I know Gary Gygax actually did a lot of his work, and even thinking in terms of game levels was about the third dimension. But I took it to the point that even within a level, you know, when it's supposed to be all those same challenge level, you can have multiple height levels, and that should work into play in some way. So that, you know, you can come in, you can walk through an underground complex, and if you go through in one direction, you walk through the nave of a, of, a, of a evil cathedral. But If you come from another direction, you're up in the balconies, and you can see down into the nave. So, but they're still technically the same game level. It's like Wolfenstein versus Doom versus Quake, you know, it's, uh, you're, Yes, exactly. In fact, that is that is something I would I would bring up later when I'm doing um, lectures on on this. Because I actually do lectures on on this awesome. now. Who who um, are you
1: lecturing to? College classes. That's interesting. What, what's um, the class? I want to take it.
3: Uh, I know it's a class in. Um, it's a guy who's teaching game development mm-hmm. somewhere in Southern California, okay. and he can, has to come in and lecture his class every. Wow! Day. wow what an honor. Because too, but be- when I say come in, it's always been virtual. We need to get but- Tadell
2: to come down to Full Sail.
3: They do game design.
2: Yeah, way.
1: we're yeah Full Sail, right? We're Dave Anderson taught. We're in Orlando. And- oh, the, the competition.
2: Oh. Says, oh, they're the competition. Okay, sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah, I set, up, I, set up, I set up. I set up. I helped set up the uh, guild hall at SMU. Oh, okay, interesting. There's enough
1: space for so, enough space for all of us. That's right.
3: I guess apparently. Yeah, I have space for all of us here. But so I, I, I'm. I have no allegiances anymore. So. Um, but the idea is that one of the levels of complexity of design is that if you're designing, if you're bringing new players through an adventure, that 2D approach is the best thing. Everything you, everything is on a simple conceptual level of, of the same level. To make, when you bring complexity, this isn't a 3D, it particularly applies to 3D video games, but it applies to tabletop as well. Once you start adding in those height variances, um, you start adding a conceptual complexity to the design and to the play for both the game master and right. the um, players. And you can the, the greater that you make those those vi- vertical differences in the play, the more complex they become because they require more complex responses. You suddenly have to seriously start thinking about what's on the
1: ceiling and you've you've argued that this necessarily doesn't make DMing harder for the game master right that because i a lot of it might sound intimidating to the the dungeon master
3: if you're not able to visualize in three dimensions yeah it can be harder It can def- yeah, I, because, yeah. if you're, because if you're having to if because suddenly now you're having to think of what's on the balcony what's If I look, if I'm on a city street, I can look up, if I'm playing, let's say, let's say I'm playing on the city street in Manhattan. And at first level, all I'm dealing with is I'm dealing with the bodegas and the storefronts and the traffic. So everything's on that same level. And then suddenly as we go up, um, somebody leans out a window on the third floor and takes a pot shot at me. Now I've got to start thinking about, okay, what's up, what's above me. And then, we step down another. Then we keep going, and then something comes up out of the sewer grate and attacks me. So now I'm thinking of – I've got to start thinking of all these different levels of, of what's going on in my world. And both as a player, because now I'm having to be three-dimensionally aware. I've always got to be watching my back in ways that I didn't before. But as a pl- designer, the DM, I've got to be thinking about, well, what's, down, what's under the player? What's above the player? What is off? You know what's off camera, and how is that? And suddenly, now I've created a dynamic world that actually has life, because something can walk in from off camera, something can come up from below, and they aren't just triggered by my presence at a particular location.
1: Well, and left this is a good time to talk about. We, of course, would be remiss if we didn't talk about what's considered your masterpieces, and and <laughs> at Judge's Guild, James. Guess how long? So, I think if people said. What is the great work that came out of Judges Guild? They're going to say, of course, Dark Tower, Caverns of Thracia, right. By Jean, right? And they're going to say, of course, one I absolutely love, Book of Treasure Maps. You've used that many times. I have. And uh, look, look how thick these are, James. How long? This is this is. People think of Judges Guild the best. This. How long do you think Janelle was at Judges Guild?
2: I I I had always. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be wrong. I thought for three or four years.
1: How long, you know, were you at Judges Guild? One year, almost to the day. <laughs> really? like one of those band members. You know, there's like these great bands, and they had for one year or a great team for one year, and then, yeah. but you associate them. Uh, uh, and that, and, and what you have in your
3: hand there is probably half of all the work I did while I was there in that year because I did stuff for the
1: magazines. I did a lot of artwork for their other products. Because um, they gu- did a few games. The person who bought, right, was it Chuck, is it Ansh now, who, who bought the dungeon? Chuck Ansh. So, he, was, he was a judge. He brings you, that's how you get to Judges Guild, right? He, he brought me to Judges Guild. So is it, an easy, is it easy to get you to Judges Guild?
3: Oh, in a sense, yeah, it was. Um, when I left college... Um, I spent the summer um, trying to get, getting work again. I've been working for a small print company, or small, uh, a quick print company that was that, you know, you walk in with something you want to get printed, like a business card or a flyer. They, you take, they take your information they turn it into something that can be printed and you walk out with it the next day. I had that, I was a layout person. That was my job, doing mechanical paste stuff for quick print. That's what I did after college with my four year art degree. So, you know, it was actually the same skills I had done on the Dungeoneer. So, Dungeoneer was trained. Um, apparently,
1: you didn't get much of a raise.
3: Well, what happened was,
1: (laughs) no, (laughs) what happened was,
3: what happened was, is that um, I was working for the print print. Quick print company. I was the their layout person. And the street that the print shop was on got blocked off because the city had was doing sewer work up in there, and they had run into so many problems that they had to block the street off and left it blocked off for months oh, and geez. months. And the walk-in traffic oh. for the shop dried up. Oh. And so he had to let go of people. So I was suddenly unemployed. Right. In fact, my last paycheck was um, something I had created, been designing for print for my own resale, which was a book of, which was a tablet of hex maps. You know, um, I'd done a cover for it. I, and so you could just, it was blue pa- it was uh, blue ink, uh, light blue ink on um, paper, bond paper padded together, but it was a hex map, you know, hex map, map, booklet. So I was going to sell those. Well, that was my last paycheck. They gave those to me. (laughs) So I was unemployed, so I started doing some freelance work, um, mostly for Martian metals, I think, at the time. I was doing some advertising work for Martian metals. And Chuck Anshell approaches me and says, Hey, I'm at Judges Guild. Um, I think what you did with the Dungeoneer would be applicable to working here. So I put together basically a portfolio of stuff and drove from Jackson, Michigan, down to uh, Decatur, Illinois, in the course of a day, and uh, interviewed with Judges Guild over the course of a couple days.
1: And and so, t- and, oh, go ahead.
3: And in the course of the interview, I said, "Okay, well, I took a job. I sold them some of my the work I brought, and I decided." Can I work remotely because I cannot work in your offices?
1: They appreciated your honesty. Well, well, it was it was
3: basically an ashtray. That's the way I Uh, describe it. Oh, okay. A lot of people there smoke. Oh,
1: so it wasn't Decatur necessarily. It was the actual. Oh, Decatur was.
3: I'm gonna sorry if you live in Decatur. Decatur was a bit of an ashtray too. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and this is from someone who was living in a blue-collar town in Michigan.
1: You didn't use that phrase during the interview, did you? No, I okay. did not. Do you have any questions for
2: us, <laughs> Janelle? Yes. Why do you Why do you have, Why do you live in this ashtray of a town? Yeah, it's yeah probably, probably not the best question to ask there. Yeah, I, I
3: just didn't have a good impression of the yeah. town. I you know, I a lot of, there was a lot of insecurity built, personal insecurity there. You know, I went to a college five minutes from my parents' home and lived on campus. I graduated from college and moved into the town, the city next door, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes from
1: my parents' home. So...
3: I was not a really secure, mature person at that point. I
1: say it sounds like you've made up for that, though. That you've, you've, I mean, because you you were yeah, in Seattle, me, now you're in Texas. Well, I learned that you
3: had to follow the job. Yeah. And by by 1980, when I was uh, genteelly starving as a freelancer, and the opportunity to work in Hartford, Connecticut came up, I jumped on it. Right. They
1: were pain. You're paying real money. So, uh, and that right, that that was right your video game uh, experience. Uh, what are, so? going back, Dark Tower and Caverns of Thracia. Before you leave that, because those, of course, is what what you're most well known for. I was watching a video of you about ten years ago, an interview, and then I watched video of you just a few months ago, and the the difference was interesting. When you were asked about Dark Tower, you said the interviewer said, "Well." You know, this is considered, you know, a classic. And you almost sort of, it struck me, you were kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. Whereas now, and I don't know if it's because of the old school revival, renaissance, now I think you understand. Is it fair that 10 years ago, it wasn't so obvious that the impact our tower had? 10 years ago,
3: I had been out of tabletop gaming, mostly out of tabletop gaming, for Twenty some years oh, or wow. more. Okay. Uh, I left. Just a just a quick history is. I got into tabletop gaming in 1975. 1978, I went to work for Judges Guild. 1979, I went freelance. 1980, I went to work for uh, Coleco, a toy company on the East Coast. 1985, I was kicked out of Coleco along with the rest of the video game group. And um, eventually, about a year later, ended up freelancing for seven years. So, but that's, I went back into tabletop gaming because I knew that. But I also worked a number of other industries because I needed to support a family. And you took work where you could find it. And so then in 1993, I ended up working for TSR on staff full time. As an artist, Um, three and a half years later, I ended up leaving TSR and going to Id Software to work in video games. And at TSR, all I was was an artist. That was it, just art. And then at uh, Id Software, I became a level designer on the Quake series, Quake Two and Quake Three. Then left there five years later. Ended up in um, at Ensemble Studios working on real-time strategy games. And then seven years later, after working on those, I ended up at CCP Atlanta. He used to be White Wolf, and was the lead level designer on a vampire MMO. So, and that was my last full. Th- but I'd been in the video game industry then for close to twenty years, um, and that was it. You know, it's, it's I was out of, and I was only peripheral, peripherally back in. Um, in video games because, or tabletop gaming because the folks at North Texas Game Convention had invited me back as a, a retro guest or to, to be a guest at their, little, their small convention here in, in the Dallas area. And that was convenient because I was living in the Dallas area
1: at the time. Well, and I think, you know, James and I came back into it just several years ago. Many, many of us, we went to what the Grogner Files people call deep freeze. We've come back into it. And so it's, it's, it's almost like your work in many respects is being discovered anew by people like myself and like James. What can you tell us? So, so the writing of Dark Tower, which, as I know you know, but for— Okay. Yeah, and, and Cabin.
3: Okay. The first, well, first let me go back and actually answer your first question was that in that intervening 10 years, I came to understand pretty much how much— my my big adventures, those big adventures meant to a lot of players who were kids. And I'm gonna say, you were kids back in the early 80s. You know, I was already an adult working at that time, but, um, you know, these, these adventures made a huge impact along with a lot of the early TSR adventures as well. You know, your lives, your gaming was defined by these, these, these prepared uh, masterworks by some of the best designers at the time. So yeah, I came to understand that you know my work in that time period was seminal in forming a lot of people's experience of the
1: game. And and, can you t- and, um, and so no. now yeah, talking about the, the yeah no, and I appreciate that. And so so I, I love the book of treasure maps. I love the book of mm-hmm. treasure maps because it's it's shorter. So for people like. Myself, who now I'm older, I don't have a lot of time. I mean, I it, it would take a lot of time to probably do justice, I think, to Caverns and to Dark Tower. The nice thing about the Book of Treasure Maps is it's 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 pretty short adventures. So it had a hook, right? Every every adventure in here is based upon a map. The map starts it. Uh, it you you've talked about how you were under a lot of time pressure at Judges Guild, mm-hmm. right? They wanted to turn out product. Judges Guild is famous for. Being not always being inconsistent uh, on its pr- they were they, they were a production right.
3: Um they they survived on turning out a lot of product and in a re- some regards I disappointed them because I wasn't turning out product as fast as they wanted it um, I was turning out big product I still filled all the time to- I used up all the time I needed to finish you know those larger projects like central um, like Dark Tower or Caverns of Thracia, So Book of Treasure Maps was actually one of those projects that was actually forced on me. It was
2: an assignment. It's just amazing that I look at this amount of work that was done in a year, and they're basically saying, that's not fast enough. I, I couldn't do that in 10 years.
1: I just told you I couldn't do another adventure. Right. I was overworked. Yeah, you're telling could, me you
2: have two adventures you need to get done I can't, for us. I'm ashamed now. Yeah,
1: now... Look at, well, apparently there's
2: talent yeah, but, and then there's us, so it yeah. makes
3: sense. What they really, what they really, I think that they really wanted me from me was to turn out something that was roughly 32 pages long every two to three wow. weeks, as opposed to something much longer, which took me the same amount of time to work on, but created smaller, fewer, it created fewer SKUs.
2: And, and for those People under thirty or forty, you don't have word or word perfect. Maybe yeah at this time.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: so, and and it it may have had correction, but most likely you had liquid paper or you had a just yeah. It was it was horrific to do things back then.
3: It was paper, or I would go through and say, okay, this paragraph I wrote looks great here. I will take I will cut it out of this sheet of paper and tape it on that sheet yeah. of paper, and that becomes my master
1: document.
2: Literally, cut and paste. The original cut and paste. Yep. So,
1: so are you? So, for something like Book of the Treasure Mask, which was an assignment, are you proud, or do you look at? I am okay. proud. Of it.
3: I am proud of it. Um, I did a number. I did a number of things in there that um, were different. I really. It gave me a. It was my first step into designing adventures based on a short title because the book of treasure maps was something that Bob Lebsaw saw senior wanted. Oh. That was the book he really wanted.
1: So you had to fit, okay. So your adventures had to fit the boss,
3: so I had to do the project. And so I sat down. I remember I had this, um, this floppy um, easy chair that I would sit into. And I sat down with a tablet and a pen, and I just wrote down as many weird or interesting-sounding adventure titles, something evocative. And then I went through, and I think I picked like four or five or six of them, something like that, and said, okay, these are the ones I like the most that bring about the idea. Maybe I could write an adventure based on Would
1: those. you recommend that? For people now writing adventures as a process?
3: <laughs> um, if you can be inspired by a phrase, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you know, because you want the story. If The story is what the story, the idea behind the titles inspired the story for me. And then the stories inspired maps. And then I filled the maps in. And usually that was my work process, because you see the maps came first.
1: And as you, as you, you, you probably don't remember this, but so for in a convention a couple of years ago that we host down here, we did, we recreated the map from Tomb of Aethering the Dam in uh, Dwarven Forge, oh. which, which, which was very cool. Um, and, and. And, and, and a very good adventure. How would she know that? Did she come to? The I event? posted it. No, she liked it. But I know. Oh, I, she, oh she, she wouldn't remember okay, that I she probably liked saw it. it. Yeah.
2: She remembered she liked the. the I
1: probably the meaning oh, I, yeah. I posted it some because I'm a creeper. Yeah, that's a lot of dwarven forge. Yes, the, we have. We, I sent you the picture. Yeah, well, seen
2: picture. Oh. One of our friends uh, is uh, he got in the Kickstarter and he bought a ton of it. His he's one of those people who is a hoarder of stuff like that. So good, we're, we were happy to take advantage of that.
1: So is the, so Dark Tower and Cavern, so Lord of the Rings or Conan? Conan. Okay, so so uh, is that true of most of, of the work that you did on D&D?
3: Um, it's, I'm not certain. I know that specifically Dark Tower is inspired by Red Nails, the Conan the Barbarian uh, adventure, or sorry, Red Nails. It is the core of that books, that adventure. Um, and also, essentially, the core, if you think about it, if you play first-person shooter games, the Capture the Flag or Team Fortress-type games. It's the same idea, two opposing towers, two opposing forces... Fighting across
1: the central battlegrounds, and I kind of even though I like Lord of the Rings, and and Conan for me okay, but I like playing an ad, in an adventure that is more swords and sorcery. It just I like that kind of weirdness about it. You do, I do, and you know what? I even have I've run Morkandane as well, right? Which you wrote from the Dungeoneer, one of your yep. magazines as well. Uh, you. Back of it, the first issue of the first
3: issue from Judges Guild.
1: Yes, you did the yep. cover, right? The Judges Guild. Yeah, uh, yeah.
3: That's one. That is one of the pieces they bought that summer when I interviewed with.
1: Oh, them. Okay. well, I do want to be
2: respectful because we're at seventy-five minutes. Okay, and, and so I know you've got still thirty-eight pages
1: of notes. I'm only on page three of yeah, thirty-eight. S- yes, yeah, so um,
2: <laughs> I do want to be respectful with that. We also have some questions from our our listeners, yes, let's so get some I, I, I from didn't want to get indeed. that in. Um, So Carlos asked his understanding is that Mike Stackpole was a friend of, of yours, Janelle, from the very early on. And where did you meet? And did this friendship extend to people like Liz Danford or David Dietrich?
3: Um, all right. Mike Stackpole I met at a game convention in Michigan in November, late October, November of 1980. Two weeks later, Within roughly two weeks later, um, I was working with him by the, um, in Hartford at Coleco. So he, he was, there's a long, much longer story there, a good long shaggy dog story there, but, um, he was, ended up working for Coleco. They needed another designer. He remembered meeting me, um, and said, Hey, you want to come work at Coleco with me? And I said, it was basically came down to, are they paying money? And um, he said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I'll come to the interview. <laughs> and I began, that was pretty much my real beginning of my friendship with Mike Sackpole. Um, through Mike, sometime later, I met Liz. Um, and I've known Liz and been friends with her ever since. I know David Dietrich Moore's a peer. I mean, I think we're, we're Facebook friends. Um, I know his work. I like his work. Um, but I really don't, never really got to know him as a person.
2: Okay, well, great. Thank you so much. And then uh, Robert Lauer asks, was there any additional lore behind Palace of the Vampire Queen? Any ideas that you didn't pursue or wanted to
1: pursue, or, or did you do later?
3: Palace of the Vampire that's Queen? Asking.
1: Oh, well, that's, yes. That's, that was in her.
3: That's not, yeah. not mine. Right, that's, we, that's We Warriors. Oh, it's We Warriors. That's right. Okay. And I didn't even know about that for years For
2: years, okay. uh, Those are the questions we had so
1: far. Okay, okay. Um, So um, you 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 left Judges Guild if I recall. You said in large part uh, you weren't thrilled with with your time at Judges Guild. You you felt like many people back in the day, uh, maybe a bit underpaid.
3: (laughs) A bit. Um, I was working minimum wage plus ten cents an hour for Judges Guild. I think I had a, a, a fairly decent. Healthcare plan because they were cheap back then, Um, but you know, really, I wasn't being able to work on things I wanted to work on. I did not get along there extremely well with Bob Bledsoe. Um, I was constantly, I and then was you know constantly in in production mode um, and feeling that I wasn't producing enough.
1: Yeah, Um,
3: and and. Again, the self-confidence stuff comes back in is that in mid-September, early to mid-September, my friend, my roommate and I and another friend from college, um, from my gaming group, we had been planning and we took a vacation that um, took us across the country by train. Oh, wow. And so we went from Jackson, Michigan to Chicago to San Francisco, where we stayed with Greg Stafford at his home for a couple nights towards San Francisco. Went down to Los Angeles, connected with um, Mark Hendricks, another, game, another um, a person, a founder of the Dungeoneer. And then from there, we went to the Grand Canyon and hiked down into the canyon and then back up again for like four days, three to four days. And there was a lot of confidence building that, that I acquired during that trip. And so when I came back, it was like, okay, I can do this. I can make it on my own as a freelancer. And I turned in my notice even two weeks. And so by the end of October, before the end of October, I was done at, Guild, at Judge's Guild.
1: And, and so you mentioned you also, at some point, you come back to, T. You, well, not come back, you went to TSR, right? And, um. Well,
3: I worked with TSR on one project in 1980, and that was illustrating the
1: um, uh, Deities and Demigods. Oh, that's right. Which How could we have forgotten that? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know how I could have forgotten but
3: that. But that, that was the only, I mean, I think it was throwing some stuff over the wall at so Dragon's still. To
1: it Exactly.
3: But um, I did the one project. For TSR, Davies, and Demigods, the Air-Hon, uh Pfeffer, and Graymalkin.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, thank you for helping us because we'd be we'd be staring yes. at this for forty five minutes, looking at
1: each initial, looking for, out. and I knew they were yes. So there it yes. is yes. You did the Rat God. I did. That's a yes. that's Fantastic. Uh, okay, I'm glad you did mention that because we and that's that was my
3: first. I also met Lauren Schick um, through that at a convention and that would play in later because I would later hire him to work for me at Coleco. But, um, so I went and I went, I started doing a combination of game freelance and local freelance, um, ended up working for a newspaper as an, as a contract, uh, editorial cartoonist. Um, worked for an ad agency worked for a couple other um, businesses in the area and then um, was doing some game stuff not a whole lot just because I wasn't get, I didn't have as many contacts but people remembered my judge's field work and then I ended up at Coleco or at uh, yeah Coleco for five years.
1: And when you and when you worked when you came and did work again for TSR, right, I know you, you worked with Skip Williams, I believe, on what city sites for yep. Second Edition, and at that, yeah. and when I came back, then, I've been freelancing. Uh, this was
3: I started freelancing for TSR again, or freelancing in general, in the summer of 1986, the spring of 1986. TSR ended up being one of my clients. I was working for. I was doing illustrations for Amazing Stories. I was doing illustrations for Dungeon, for Dragon. Um, And then I started editing books for um, the game side. Um, First as an editor and then writing a few small contributions. And then that led to writing entire modules for them. And I think I capped with doing um, what eventually became the... uh, the second leatherette book in second edition. The um, Campaigns
1: catacom- campaigns and Catacombs guy. And, and I think you did but that, some city books. And that was to be part of the DMG. And some of the city books too, if I recall. You did work for Flying Buffalo. So that's, that's,
3: star, that's Flying Buffalo. Yeah, they were one of, one of my clients. Um, early on I had done um, one adventure, one city for them, in, or one establishment that appeared in City Book 3. Which was uh, Dom Daniel's Gate. and then uh, years, and then Blade was still doing the production on that. And then about a year or so after that, Rick Loomis came back to me and said, "Hey, um, would you be interested in taking over the production on the book on the City Book line?" And I thought, well, I could try, and it's interesting. I like the line, and so I did four, five, and six. Um, afterwards, doing the whole packaging, um, I didn't write it all. In fact, I did, wrote very little in it, but I edited and packaged the whole series.
1: And since you and since you've returned right to RPGs, uh, you've been a regular at convention. Right? You go to North Texas. You've been yep. to,
3: back. I, yeah, I went back again for the first time in a number of years this and year. And you've been to
1: Gary Khan because I was fortunate enough to play in one of your games. That's a Right, we years have a picture
3: of you playing. Out. Do
1: you have a picture? Yes. Yeah, so in your uh, kids on bike yeah. game couple years ago and of course you did uh is it uh, uh getting up here quack keep
3: quack keep with uh, darcy perry of, um there you go if you
1: can see it there's there we go there you go. yes yeah, there that's we right? are um i'm sure you remember remember us fondly that's right and um and so and quack keep now it's uh, i read some reviews on it and and so it may sound somewhat you know it, it does it need? Do you find that you need to provide some convincing to people to to use a setting that has foul as sort of yeah yes. okay. <laughs> but it's but my understanding, and I don't have it, but from reading the reviews, but I was I'm intrigued now from reading the reviews. Though, of course, as probably is typical with your stuff, is it is there's a, there's a seriousness underlying it. Correct. It's, the the
3: quack keep came about. It's. Um... It has, like I said, everything in my life, it has a story. And the story behind Quack Keep is I got to know Darcy Perry, a um, sculptor from New Zealand. And he's a big Rune Quest fan, and he was a fan of my ducks. And somewhere in one of his Kickstarters for miniatures, he included several duck characters and made one of them a tribute to me. Oh, wow. There's a character, there is a character in... Um, one of, his, uh, one of his Kickstarters called Jen J. Quack. Extremely <laughs> <laughs> <And, laughs> um, <laughs> coincidental. <really, laughs> but we started talking about a collaboration and that collaboration became his, one of his future Kickstarters, which was the Quack Keep. Um, Quack Keep was my, my, my idea for the name and for the content. He did the sculpting. Of, he did mo- mostly just the sculpting of the miniatures. I provided a few ideas for them. And then... We went through and created characters based on all his duck sculptures. And there were quite a few by that point. And so, and most of them were parodies or pastiches. So, let's, we'll be honest that most of them have their roots in humor. But I ended up writing this setting called uh, Reedy Ben, which we treated as a nexus, the idea being that every Point in every multiversal world probably has a contact point with Reedy Ben in some way. So people could move through it. It's, um, you, know, you know, the concept, the concept isn't unique. Um, it's been used in a lot of fiction and ideas, but it's a place where the multiverse could gather if need be or pass through. And so I started creating a setting for these characters. And most of the stories are actually Pretty damn serious. Um, they're, they're adventure hooks. There's no real, there's no really worked out adventures in there. There's a couple of settings like caverns that we created, but there's a storyline that permeates and links all these characters together through the through the history of Quack Heap. And the name Quack Heap is, of course, a parody of the name Quag Heap, which was the first Dungeons and Dragons novel. And the cover, the book, and the wraparound, with the GM screen, was based on the original, the cover for the original Andre Norton book.
1: And I know that you are working on an update to Central Casting, correct, right? Central Casting Mm -hmm. was a book that you wrote back in the day to create backstories. See, this is my kind of book, James, because you you have a random, you don't don't create your own backstory, you randomly roll your backstory, and uh, I didn't know if you remembered this, Joe, but I was looking through this Dungeoneer, the first one, I guess that was with Judges Guild. And if I recall, you had something very similar in there where you would, yes, yeah, yeah, the fantasy role-playing previous history system oh. that you had already done, which is which was the part of the foundation of it. Um,
3: it actually began in Dungeoneer Number Five, maybe. There's a call. Uh, there's an article called Idiosyncrasies and We've D&D. used it. Oh, you've used it. We've, We've used, used it. Idiocy- but
1: I forgot. I didn't realize that you said that it was like a percentage chance you'd have one. I thought everyone had one. Yeah. So so all, every player character. <laughs> <laughs> not good. But that was because I didn't read. Yes, that's my fault.
3: Wait, well, see, I think that makes player characters great if they're a little weird. One had a split personality. Um, yeah, split personality. That was great. Yeah. Okay. Now the weird thing is, is that I actually, you know, life—you go, you go through life, and I'm not going to say who, where, or exactly when, but one of my roommates was profoundly multiple personality, oh, wow. mm-hmm. and they were a trip, literally, and not always yeah, a good yeah. trip to live with. <laughs> yeah, that would be rough.
1: So you're, I assume, the central to the the idea behind. I learned Fun- a lot about that, what how those how it
3: actually functions, and it's really a superpower.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, okay. I always wondered, like, yes. Gary, did Gary do all that research? You know, in his in the DMG, he has all these write ups on all of these mental illnesses, and I always wondered how is he researching all that? It's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, is he like at the library? I well, most of, a lot of
3: central casting that I've done since then is w- involved research. To okay, I'm going to talk about yeah. mental health. I how do I how do I express these mental health situations in a game setting that isn't disrespectful of the people who actually have these conditions. Right. So,
1: yeah, but
3: they are an aspect of people. Just, I mean, most you you walk up to some random person on the street these days, and you will find out they probably have some form of mental health issue. Whether mm-hmm. it's expressed in their life or yeah, not. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. yeah, rude.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, I worked. I the the whole article began. Um, the history stuff began actually. There was a an article in Dragon Number Four, I think, which was just basically a really simple backstory generator for D&D characters in Dragon Number Four, and so that was one of my foundationals, and then. I wrote the articles, the stuff that became um, idiosyncrasies in D&D, which is just weird things, allergies, mm-hmm. um, mental, mental conditions, funky, funky personality bits or that include in the Dungeoneer. And then afterwards, I started expanding that. It actually, I got, because of that, I ended up getting an award for, in college. It, was quite, it became foundational for me winning a humanities wow. award huh. in college. So that because I was involved in theater, I was involved in writing this, this stuff I had written, the books. Wow. Um, so I got I have this, this little gold pin from when I
1: graduated that was uh, essentially a humanities award. So they so they gave me um, a pin and said, "There you go. There you go. Good
3: luck with it." it
1: and the... <laughs> today and now, I the world? But she remembers um, so the was, pen. That's right. They're marketing genius. They
3: are smart. brilliant. <laughs> I think it's in my jewelry Absolutely. drawer. But um, I just never get rid of things. Um, so the, I started writing the the, um, the character history thing, and I remember my friends complaining that, yeah, everybody's village ended up getting burned. That was their take on it.
1: Critics.
3: Um, right. Yeah, critics. So... We go forward a number of years later, and I think I'm home at work from Coleco and sick and bed, and I'm just sitting there writing out more notes for other ways to develop this history thing for central casting. And then a few later, after years later, after I was out of Coleco and freelancing again, I was looking for projects I could do to generate money that... Um, so I wrote, I came up with this idea for the Central History, Central Casting History System. And I think Rick Loomis may have pointed me in the direction of Task Force Games at that time. Um, so this in 1988, 87, 88. And they were interested. So I did the book, I packaged it, and they published it. And then I did two more books afterwards based on um, science fiction and uh, contemporary games. And unfortunately, there's also has some very negative uh, political, socio-political content in it because that's who
1: I was at the time. Well, yeah. Well, we all see that looking back at yeah, dealing with old '80s materials and '70s materials. That's that's inevitable. So.
2: Well, I mean, we've we've grown as a society and as people, so that 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 can happen. I, I guess I, I have just a couple of questions, you know, because sure. um, you know, obviously you've been a prolific author, artist, designer. Do you do you have a preference which one which palette of creativity you you go to first or are they all equivalent or?
3: Um, It really depended on from a from a professional standpoint. It depended on um, well, I'm going to let me say from a psychological standpoint. I think it represented my represented my attention span. Um, How long I could maintain working on a particular type of project, um, freelancing, I suddenly had more contracts, contacts, and I would work on who was providing me work, you know? So I could go to a TSR and get an editing contract or a designing contract or illustrating a magazine. Um, back in the day, I really, I did like doing artwork. Um, but I ended up finding eventually for a while it didn't pay as well. And then I would go doing design, like working on this. I loved working on the, the city books and doing the production on central casting, but city book, as much as I loved it, it couldn't pay the bills. It was, I mean, I, I had a, was getting a small fixed rate for it. Um, it just wasn't, I couldn't do it. That's why I quit doing it. Um, and then eventually I found that, I worked on video games, so I worked for EA, Electronic Arts. I worked for uh, Interplay, and those were my best playing clients, But they they ended up drying up. Um, so then so I found my way back just to doing straight illustration again, and that led me to work at TSR. And then as TSR dried up, it led me. To, um, I got an offer to go work for id Software, and. So it's always been kind of a what's, you know, it's a commercial thing. It's what's, what's been paying these days. I'm finding I'm more attracted um, for a number of reasons. uh, Some of them being physiological um, to just writing because I can, I, I enjoy sitting and writing. I enjoy banging out ideas. I'm starting to think that I might be able to write fiction. I don't know. Um,
2: is that coming but, next year, maybe, or is that still t- too premature?
3: Oh wow! I've got so many projects <laughs> in the hopper. Um, I'm I'm planning on living till at least till I'm at least 160, just so I can get stuff done. Um, but the um, physiologically, it's it's becoming more difficult for me just from some health issues. For me to do artwork, and I work mostly digitally now, so. Um, sometimes when you know the risk gives out, you just got to say, that's it. I can type. And um, being, because you were in, and
2: in video games, you know, a lot of people like me, when we went to the deep freeze, we just assumed the video games would get better and better and better. And you wouldn't need the dungeon master, or the tabletop role-playing and, you know, whether it was Baldur's Gate or these other games in the nineties. Now there's this renaissance of tabletop playing again, or at least a perceived rate. Um Were you surprised that, D&D survived and is now flourishing based on your experience in gaming? Or did you see that and go, well, mm-hmm. it makes sense that they're, they're apples and pineapples or this kind of thing?
3: I think it's been uh, a sinus curve. Um, back in the 80s, when we were working at, TSR, at at Coleco, we could see the demographics that were changing, how, how demographics were changing with who was playing, you know, age groups of people. And I was bringing people in to work for me at Coleco from the role-playing game industry. And some of them were in marketing and we could see what was changing. So it was no surprise that by, let's say, the early 80s or the late 80s, um, things were waning down, that um, the tabletop gaming was beginning to struggle. And at that was the time that Computer games were rising. They weren't giving us fantasy game, but they were—they were different experiences, different, not necessarily equal, but different. And even with the MMOs that came in the late '90s, they were different experiences, but they were still—they filled that role. And we were changing as a society so that um, we weren't as in content. You know, we were all busy, particularly. You know, if you've got, if you're older, if you have kids or jobs, suddenly it's suddenly harder and harder and harder to get together, play in the same place. But you can sit at your computer at three in the morning and go on a raid with someone, you know, with people from six points places around the world, forty places around the world. Um, So it changed, and then um, we went. We went through. There was the D twenty. Um, open gaming license, um, Renaissance. What was that early yep. 2000s? Yeah, uh, when 3.0 came out. Yep. Yeah, and that that was a big um, bloom of uh, of of the product. But at the same time, people weren't didn't have as much money just weren't be able to spend as much money on it. So that again, I saw that fade again as a business until it finally. Settled back down to a hobby level in the, um, right. let was say around two thousand ten or so. It was all, you know. Now it was back hobby gaming again. It was the rent. You know, the old, the old, the old guard was playing again because they were rec. They had money. You know, you were in their forties. Yep. They reached that point where it was nostalgia. They had money, and then a lot, of, a lot of you guys were collecting. You know, I want to go back. like. I wasn't able to get this particular product back when I was 15, 14 mm-hmm. years old, and so now I'm going to buy it, and this brought people together again, they started gaming, and they said, yeah, this is still fun, I like playing the way it was. And so now this, if there's a resurgent, and of course, wotc has been there on the side saying, how do we, you know, we've got Magic the Gathering, Magic the Gathering is paying all our bills, but we still got this D&D product line that we, we so we keep Trying to find the magic, the magic way it reaches to people, and between the internet and places, you know, like Matthew Murther Matthew Murther yes. Matthew Mercer's um, critical role, and a lot of other people blogging and running D and D online. Suddenly, it was like, "Hey, this is cool again." Well, it was never cool, right. but um, this is fun again, and. So it suddenly comes back, and now D and D is bigger than ever. Um, but the rest of the industry is still pretty much hobby. Yeah, I,
2: and and that isn't is that intertwining because again, your whole professional career is that video games, the creative things that you learned from tabletop went into video games. That it's going back. People are are looking yep. at that, and you know we are not the geeks that and nerds that we used to be there's a lot more of us you know you go to these con these comic con I mean comics they were dying mm-hmm. when I was there now they've come back a huge resurgence yep. and so all this geek culture um has ascended when you know I never thought that was ever going to happen it was it was you know now it's like that we're like the hipsters now get off my lawn you know we have this old thing but fortunately yeah. it has you know my kids play uh I got back into it partly because my kids were old enough to play. And, and it was, they had friends. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, instead of them sitting mindless in front of whatever it was, and they always wanted to play exploding head games, you know, something where they could violently kill people. I said, well, hey, let's pretend to violently kill people with uh, D&D. And they were like, okay. And they tried it.
1: <laughs> That's the cell. That
2: was the cell, yeah. You can, you, it's you have to tell me how you kill them, as opposed to press X, Y, you know, left, right, left, right, kind of thing.
1: You get to and, do it slowly and slowly, <laughs> <laughs> methodically. Yes, exactly. You're a father. Yes,
2: apparently <laughs> um, they they've let me in front of children before, so um, you know I think that intertwining. And now you know you get these conventions that have forty, fifty thousand people that go there
1: and. Those are just huge. Can I, yeah. can I ask can I jump in there? Because I, I, I don't want to ask this question. I don't want to forget about it. Because you brought up cons and mega right. cons. Can you, can you tell us about Gen Con back in the day? Because you went to Gen Con back in the 70s. What was it like?
3: I went to Gen Con number 10. At, it was held in the Horticultural mm-hmm. Hall in Lake Geneva and out at what was still the Playboy Club outside of Lake Geneva. Um, It was a lot, it was pretty much all young men, um, young meaning college age up through early 40s, maybe. Um, We were all, we got together. We all, you know, we all knew A, D, and D. Um, Some people played like Boothill. There really wasn't, much else, as far even in even back then, oh, tabletop wargaming was still yeah. big. Um, you know, when I say tabletop, I mean moving the miniature. You know, moving Napoleonic's around, moving tanks around, uh, med- medieval wargames. So that was that was the environment, and we, you know, we played D and D. We played AD and D tournaments. We sat in uh, the horticultural halls. Uh, Literally, their flower sheds. <laughs> while it rained in the courtyard out in front of us, um, went out to uh, um, the the Playboy Club, and there were literally, you know, Playboy bunnies there. Um, They're all ga- serving They're lunch.
2: That's amazing.
3: I mean, I came away one of my tre- one of my treasured artifacts from that was a napkin from the Playboy Club. <laughs> It, where we had my brother and my friend and I had, run, had lunch Well, you guys like,
1: take the take the napkin, take the napkin?
3: Well, <laughs> afterwards. I more more it's a paper napkin, and so
2: well, it was afterwards. Seems so strange. Lake Geneva and Playboy Club just don't seem
3: like Well,
1: it, it was, yeah, I think, I get, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a resort town, though, back, yeah, back I mean, then. I guess, right.
3: Well, you have to understand, Lake Geneva is still a resort uh-huh. town. Um, that whole area is a resort area, and it's where the money the moneyed people of Chicago would come up. I mean, originally, there were all these huge mansions built, like, by the Schwinn family, Schwinn Bites, the Maytag family, that Maytag. Mm -hmm. um, And they were all around the lake. They had these huge um, Victorian mansions. And there was a train that came specifically up from um, Chicago and terminated in Lake Geneva so people could... Uh, trans, you know, come up to, to their vacation properties or vacation up in the city. Oh, wow. I mean, even when I lived there, people
1: were comp- still complaining about people coming up from Illinois. Did, did, you, did, you get, um, did you meet Gary at any of the Gen Con's?
3: The first Gen Con I was at, um, I, I was sitting playing Dungeons and Dragons with my brother, my friend, um, a guy named Bill Paley. And we were sitting in the hallway on the second floor of the Playboy Club, and we saw Gary Gygax and Fritz Leiber walk by. And it was like, ooh, we are in the presence of, of demigods. And that was the closest I oh, got Gary okay. Um And I saw him playing in a hallway later on, but you know, I had no interaction with him. Did-
2: Demigods Um, in the hallway. That's a a great adventure. That's the name of an adventure. Yeah, you start with the name. Now you write it. Write that. I'm writing that. The The Hall of Demigods.
1: You see, she's better than you see. She's pushing around. This is what she does. You're like Demigod Hall. This is what I did. That's right. Did you play? Don't try this at home. I'm a professional. (laughs) Did you get to play with any people who became names or were names at the time? So you were in the tournament. We love, you know, I just love stories about, you know, the the people Um, from back in the day.
3: In the tournament, I don't know. We had we, my brother and my friend Randy and I. We literally created a pickup group in the line for the Avd Open tournament because mm-hmm. there are only three of us. You needed six plus six players, and we only had three, so we found three loose players and we put our team together and we made it to the final I think if they
1: hadn't been chosen, it probably wasn't like Jim Ward or you know, right. Or, right. No, but I did. I, I'd already met you sorry, know, I met Jim yeah, Ward yeah, there. Yeah, that kind of thing.
3: But that was it. Um,
1: Who are these people?
3: Okay. okay the oh, the silly person in the helmet yep. is me. Okay. Um, the other three people were people from my college gaming group. Um, it's on um, the the Hobbit, the halfling, is Lynette Landenberger Stevens. The wizard is Doug Griffin and the monk is Deborah Hare.
1: Okay. Awesome. Do you still Um, talk to them?
3: And nope. (laughs) Not since this. (laughs) this Um let's just say that let's just say I went through some life changes and all but one of them is
1: not. Oh well I'm sorry to hear that. So but that's it's great. I always wanted to ask you about that. I I I love that picture. So And that, that was taken that was taken.
3: Um, by one of my my college friends, who was the he was if I remember if it's the person I'm thinking of correctly, he was the yearbook photographer. Oh wow! What's on when I was in
1: college? What's on your head? Um, like it's a helmet. Is it actual helmet? Well, what kind of? Where do you get a helmet? Okay, James do, hates do, when I see that. It's what you, it's what
2: you Janelle didn't call me yesterday. I would have as warned her about all these random don't things. Don't so. you want to know okay. what that helmet
1: yes, comes from? Uh, good, I uh, want to know. Just, no one's ever. Gonna- as a child, as a
3: child, um, I had a little plastic army man helmet. You know, at this point, it would just be—it would just fit on all my right. head. All right. And I used that as the foundation for building over it a. A helmet out of paper mache and fiberglass. Look. And eventually Bondo. And so I created the shape for the helmet. That looks and awesome. it's just a, it's just a silver, It's just, it's okay. a prop. Okay. It's just a prop. Well, it's kind of like
2: I had to do the same thing in fourth grade. I wasn't as talented. We had a, King Tut was a big thing who came to New York. And we all had to do King Tut mm-hmm. things. And I'm not an artist; I have no skill whatsoever. But my brother, who is much older than me, had the, all the GI Joe, the 12-inch figures, and there was a. They had the one of the sarcophagus because I guess GI Joe in between saving democracy. Yeah, so uh, they
3: ended up being doing like like adventure right. stuff. Yeah, that was after I'm playing. So
2: they had. Uh, so I had this sarcophagus, and I just covered it in play doh or do- mm-hmm. or some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of clay thing. And then we painted over and like oh that really came out good yeah because I literally just
3: <laughs> covered the thing that's I totally agree with that that makes total sense but yeah the, the, uh, the helmet ended up which is basically it was a it was a mold yeah. form that I built sculpted a pointy a pointy helmet on top I of and then she's in a multi-media later years, up, I would, artist she I'm, does it in all forms she's not, she's not comp- just not used to
1: make, I mean I was in college I made theater props okay. so so um, I wasn't be critical. I was, was curious. A, that question is screaming to be asked, yes. James. Well, you didn't ask
2: about the Joe Stick. Who made the Joe Stick?
3: Well, staff. That's a broom. Oh. The staff. That's a. That's a. That's a closing rod. What's a club?
1: Oh. That's a karate. Using oh. karate. Okay. Um, the monk is wearing my karate gi. I I have. Um, I have only one final question, James. I'm not going to ask about Unknown Gods, because I've read, I know this was dumped on you. It's not really, right? It was one of my first projects. Yeah. I, I love um, the idea, though, of petty, and I know you did the in, you did an intro on petty gods. I love the idea. Yeah, I, I did some illustrations in it, too, and so did my son, actually. I love the idea um, of petty. Look, petty gods seems to fit your kind of approach to things, though I know that, right? Yeah. Um do you have a favorite adventure from back in the day? So, we've talked a lot about the ones you wrote. It's kind of like asking a musician, is there, what's your favorite band, you know, other than you?
3: This is, this is going to sound egoistic If I never played anybody else's adventures. Um, I, I think I ran Tomb of Horrors mm-hmm. once. Oh, and I think I ran Giant Stepping once. Okay. The Hill Giant Stepping. I didn't run adventures. Um, I didn't run the people stuff because they generally weren't. They didn't fit the way I designed or played. I mean, particularly the um, when, I, when I think of the, uh, the against the giants, the you know the, the the vast underground exploration where you go went met the dark elves stuff. That was, just wasn't me. This wasn't the way we played. So a lot of that um, just we. Which, didn't didn't
2: you? why you like it because it's short more short shorter and, and not as
1: Yeah, well I like yeah, the Book of Treasure Maps. Yeah, right. it's something I, I can I can finish in a night.
2: So what does twenty twenty one look like for Janelle Jakeways? What's the rest of the year look like for you?
1: Uh, I am desperately
3: trying to finish up a cover painting digital for a video game that old school is putting out. Um one of our first um packet old school, let me get clarified. Old school is the video game company that I formed with Rebecca Heimann and two other women back in 2012. We mostly have done um, retro clone retro work. Um, we work on older games, bringing them back up. Um, so we work. We've worked on dissent, um, this, Descent. Descent is amazing. Descent that's that's available. I need to get that. It's about you can get it on Steam. Steam. Okay, is it, it? It's the original. So we worked on getting that back to playable status oh, for people. What a game! So,
2: um, what a game! We
3: played that um, forever. <laughs> we've done a few other. We've done a few other games. Um, we worked on prop, a version of Abe's Odyssey. I never played. Um, that. I think or that that class. So this is that's an, a later game. But so right now, what we're we're getting ready to produce is a game called Lawless Legends. Elton. Legends. Elton. Elton. And it's by a group called the 8-bit bunch. And old school is publishing it. It is if you think the original Bard's Tale 3, yep. think think Bard's Tale 3, but set in an American Wild West setting.
2: But not Wasteland.
3: But not Wasteland. But not wasteland. Um it We're is a, video. You is might as well be to speaking Elvish. I know, I know. This is this is I... It is a it's a it's a classic it's a, it's in this and it's being done, for drum roll please, the Apple Two oh, the Apple Two wow, but it will when we ship it it will come with um uh, an emulator emulator both the PC and the Mac so it's so we're getting ready to produce that as a packaged box version in a special edition and then we'll it'll also be sold digitally
2: and. Yeah, the, the user interface the, is the old old school Bard's Tale and
3: that's it is old school Bard's wasteland, Tale that, the whole okay, thing yeah is, you know that early mid 80s to late late 80s aesthetic with, with an art with, style yeah. and screen resolution and but we've done a lot we we've, we've done a package version but of that it'll come
2: is Apple 2 what's the resolution is it EGA or VGA on that or what's going to be it
3: Pre-ETA. So, (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's three, it's like, it's like, and I think if I remember correctly, it's like 320 by 200. Okay, yeah. So,
2: and so the artwork is that style, the paneled artwork. Yeah, that's awesome.
3: Okay. Exactly. Um, So that's, that's what I'm working on there. I've got, um, I'm grinding away on my central casting project. Um, Right now I'm at most, I'm at a, I'm mostly doing editing. I still have some writing to do. But um, when I say editing, I'm going back through all the content and doing a second pass, second editorial and design pass on it. Um, I still haven't play tested mm. it yet, um, but I tr- I'm just I'm trusting in my ability <laughs> <laughs> to know what it's I'm worked doing. before. Um, but it's if you you remember the original Central Casting books, they were about a hundred pages long. Figure this in the 500 wow.
1: pages. Wow. That's way up from the original in The Dungeoneer, which I think was three pages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> and a lot of the way I'm designing it is um, I mean, I'm here. Let me just read. I have it up on my sure. screen because that's what I was working on when we started here. This is in a section called um, Twisted Mysteries, which is essentially horror events. Should I roll? Should I roll and, dice? Sure. Roll, um, get, roll a D one hundred for me. Oh, James has. Actually, no,
1: don't, 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 here, roll a uh, D six. Sorry, your D one hundred and a D ten. Three on the D six, and then a D ten. Yep, a and then, nine. So that that gives you the number thirty nine. Okay. okay, tell me about my, so I'm a bit, 39. my twisted mystery.
3: Our twisted mysteries. The event is called Double Down. The character suspected that everyone in their town had been possessed by evil or replaced by body doubles. They have no evidence of this, just a disturbing
1: feeling in the pit of their stomach. And then there's a GM secrets that goes with it. Oh, so this is just something that I think. So it doesn't, so you can do it, all you know is, you know, your character thinks that. Something on
3: in your character's history. Oh. You know, your, in your character's history, this, something like this happened. And then on the GM secrets, there's more information that the your game master gets to know that the player doesn't.
1: Awesome. That's great.
3: So it can say, you know, later on you can be coming along and maybe, maybe you come back to your hometown or maybe you come back to this town later on and everyone there looks like your brother or something. Mm,
1: I like that. You're selling me. That, that sold me on it. So the whole book is essentially... Um,
3: it's it's the idea being that they, most of these are story hooks. Mm-hmm. They're story hooks planted in your character history.
1: I like it. And,
2: and so you, hopefully you have Dan's email. If you want to send us links to all this so we can put it on our YouTube
3: and our our, our thing, we would be happy to do that. Uh, will be, that'll be an eventually. Now, oh. what I'm thinking is, Again, I'm just in the editing stage. Uh, I'm not certain how I'm going to produce. I know I'm, I'm self-publishing okay. this. I have, a, I have a um, my own brand. It's called Fifth Wall Publishing, or fifth, fifth, fifth Wall Games and Miniatures. And the Fifth Wall has less to do with the idea. Similar, you know, the Fourth Wall or anything. It's when I started the company in Seattle, I lived at the corner of Fifth
2: oh, okay. Wall. Oh, cute.
3: Are you going to any cons? Are you traveling? Um, I went to North Texas this summer, and that's probably going to be it for this year, unless um, mostly what I've been doing as far as cons has been, like, retro video game cons. Um, when we were going, we were going to, like, Portland. Um, there's a retro video game convention every year in Portland, and we were going to that. Um, but no... The problem is, is well, I'm still COVID. I'm vaccinated, but after retro- North Texas, I came back and was sick for ten oh, days. Oh no!
0: Um,
3: Tom yay! Well, if you
2: if you're if you're so, bored between October 15th through the 17th, as you can see, we're wearing we're doing our second annual Grog Con, which is a
3: uh, in, in Orlando. Orlando, Orlando, Florida. That's right. My goodness, do you know where I'm probably going to be that week? Hell, us. Disney get, world. Out. get out here well if we
2: can make that happen
3: because we're we're making plan the that's my birthday week oh, awesome. and we've been planning the idea of, well what are we going to do now that the world's opened up again and i said i've always wanted to go back to disney world wow
2: serendipity yeah we rolled it's like divine intervention we rolled well, under there was lightning right was,
1: at, right at noon our right. time I heard yes it lightning here. struck I can, so this is well now you have to come. All right. I heard the, we will I heard the so we will announce immediately we That's will of course immediately announce I, I already posted special, It's already been right. posted. Right. Already James, Geno Jaquez yeah. special guest. That's right. All right. T- 24 hour tournament. See. We'll
2: see. Well, if you are here, it's not, it's not like yes, plan if, too. if you are here, you and the family are here are, are in Orlando um Actually, our our convention is in Kissimmee, which is very close to there. It's not; it's within a few miles. Actually, a lot of people stayed in that area. We would love to see you. We have you have obviously a lot of fans here,
3: and if we could
2: make that happen, we would be happy to do it. Get- okay, well,
3: I'll bring it up. My my wife is the travel um, coordinator. The, uh, well, she's both the travel coordinator and the person who thrives on interaction with other human beings. Well, based um, on our
2: con attendance, you won't have to interact with too many. We, we won't have that many. Oh,
3: wow.
1: Oh, yeah, oh. that's right. This is perfect for you.
2: This is only our second year. We're actually in a bigger tournament. Where we're in a miniature tournament, like a, for, a, convention. War, a convention. Sorry, thank you. Uh, but we do an old-school tour, uh, tournament. We have uh, mm-hmm. old-school people coming like us, and we would love to have it. And uh, and obviously, if you are coming and you need some help anywhere at the Orlando, Dan, I would be happy to help you with that. If you have any questions. Mm-hmm. We, We'd be happy to give recommendations oh, okay. or stuff like that. Or you could stay at Dan's house. He has you can cats. bring
1: the cat, and you can leave the cat right. at my
2: house. He loves cats. He'd be happy to do that.
3: Well, we have four no cats, problem. and one of them is a house—literally
1: pan- uh, a house panther. Oh wow! I asked to see the wrong right. cat. Right.
3: Yeah. Well, that's that's well, that's Rascal is like just this
1: giant cat. <laughs> Forget so. about not and Agatha.
3: Well, the last thing we have
2: uh janelle is if you have a d10 we roll a d10 to figure out how well the show went one is we wasted your time and we apologize and we'll never bother you no. again 10 is amazing
1: i don't have a dice in front okay. of me do you want to roll it for her i will this is how good the show was and i gotta get out of here james it's yeah. about to it's a seven, seven. That's, that's good a pretty good that's show. About, that's way above
2: that
3: awesome. way, abo- way above average. seven out of ten
1: yeah. well uh, uh, better than jim Ward's show th-
3: that's right and then uh, at uh, least plus one for advantage. Right. Oh, she's already worked in the, she's working the
2: DM. She's worked step- in the DMs. That's a- right, because we're Central Times.
3: Then, uh, you know, I have a special ability to give, you know, to give interview. Right. Because right. right. you're by all the ones I have, so it's at least we're up to a nine and then minus for james of course
2: minus for james being back down uh, to a seven uh, yeah that's you there you did counter the uh, the fact that you are hobbled by the the people we're interviewing yeah well janelle thank you so much for your time today thank you and um i'm i'm uh, so for grog talk i'm james and i'm dan and i'm janelle and and we will see all of you next time on grog talk take care
0: This has been a Bushy Puppy Production. All rights reserved.